This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always and forever by my, my <laughs> like it or lump it. I had a tone, right? Uh, by my my good friend, my business partner, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen, NPH. Thank you in the Hoosie. But also, we are absolutely, absolutely honored. To be in the company of a very own Jess Lomas. No middle name. Oh. Jess. Oh. Oh. Jessica Rabbit Lomas. There, there we go. are. Ooh, sorry just, about that. Just checking. There we are. Yeah. Welcome it, to Elgin. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, we're in we're in Bonnie Scotland. We Bonnie Scotland. Said the guy from Virginia <laughs> to the last from Glasgow in the presence of the chap from Connecticut. <laughs> Welcome to Elgin. This definitely starts, sounds like the start of one of those complicated a rabbi, a priest, and an elephant walk into a bar. Ooh, an elephant. <laughs> yep. It's just the way I tell them. A minister, a priest, and a rabbit walk into a typo. Hey. <laughs> well done. Thank well you. Done. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. You know, Jason, you and I have come out to Scotland to conduct business. We have. For the company for many years. We have come out to Jess. We've come out to Jess. Uh, we Good finally I'm come out to Jess. I'm glad you two finally <laughs> reached the same conclusion as the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the first time where the, th- where the three of us are together traveling around ah. and doing business together oh. as, as a company, as, as a three-person company here. So that's, yeah, that that's feels kind of momentous. And, and I just, you know, I want to raise my glass to you guys and just say it's absolutely lovely being with you. Are you ready for the worst cling ever? <laughs> Some horrific water glasses getting clanged together there in a B&B room. I'm, I'm so proud of three industry professionals with three of the most hideous glasses. Yeah. I, I looked at the tasting glasses. I thought, should I pack them? Should I take them? And I just didn't have the room. Maybe it was the three bottles of Westland I was bringing for guests. Should you pack them? Should you take them? I've got three Westlands for Jessica Rabbit Lomas. <laughs> no complaints here. <laughs> um, but I, I was going to say on the back yeah. of your oh, comment, yeah, yeah. Joshua, good, 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 good. that that's what happens when you hire a global sales manager right before a global pandemic. Yeah. And so we had one meeting, the three of us in person mm-hmm. in Glasgow, oh, yeah. at the Glasgow Hilton across the yeah. N8 from the Bond. Yeah. And, yeah. and we said, okay, let's do this again in the spring. And the <laughs> spring was 2020. And mm. I'm not going to belabor the point. We yeah. didn't see you until I came over last May, May of 2022. Mm-hmm. We lost Joshua because he had COVID. Yep. No, he and just didn't want to come. <laughs> oh, he did. So I just went out. I just looked for anyone who had COVID. I started licking them. Just... <laughs> <laughs> he desperately wanted to come on that trip, desperately. But as much as you couldn't come on it because of COVID, yeah. I couldn't go home because of COVID. <laughs> and I got 10 bonus days in Scotland with the old COVID. So, Hashtag bonus. So here we are, September of 23. Absolutely remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting to hang out in person again. That's wild. 
it does it does feel very weird when you were like uh, i was here in uh, i could see your brain do the maths yeah. and i also was like yeah i couldn't tell you what last year's year was yeah 2020 yeah. could be 2019 could be 2018 <laughs> time no longer has I any concept 1970 could be 2028 20, who the heck knows yeah, no don't don't make it into the future <laughs> that makes it worse so so listen to your point though Yes. As Jess being our global sales manager, you've come back from somewhere in England and also <laughs> Tel Aviv. I forget where it is. Is I it where Man- is Manchester? Mm. Old England? Mm. Bad bad geographing there. York? You're forgiven. I was in Newcastle. Get warmer. Ah, Newcastle. <laughs> Different accents, which as uh, previous outings on the podcast, I will not be repeating those accents. <laughs> I think I'm still banned from London, so uh, <laughs> sorry, London people. Uh, yes, I was in Newcastle at the Indie Bottlers Indie Love Fest, uh, run by the... I love that the name. Yeah. yeah. It sounds even better when you say it in a Geordie accent, which sadly... Go on. Oh. It's the way they say love. Say love. How do they yeah, say Yeah, like that. Yeah. It's love. Yeah, love. Indie whist? No, no. <clears throat> Scratch that. Um, why I? I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, yes, so that's why I was for right. the uh, weekend. Two weekends ago. Who am I anymore? I went to, yes, I went to Newcastle and we drove down uh, and we had a lovely two session festival. And it's the right. first time I've ever been at a whiskey festival where it was all indie bottlers with, wow. and this feels appropriate for where we are currently, mm-hmm. just one bottler who was uh, a distillery, and that was Glen Murray. Right. And that's because Carl, who organises the festival, it's his favourite distillery. <laughs> ah, so that's I, fantastic. I think he, put, he has a little asterisk, so he's like, and Glen Murray. So we, that was really nice. We literally it. came from Glen Murray to our bed and breakfast <laughs> <laughs> to record. And you're telling us Glen Murray was the only non-IB at an IB festival. Amazing. Correct. That's remarkable. Sometimes this the whiskey is, world just yep. works out in just, fantastic just, ways. It's a small place. It's a very small place. Wow. So, so, yeah. so to back up just for a hot second, you're talking two sessions. Two sessions across the same day. Yeah. Across the same day. How so many hours of yeah. each, for each session? Oh, and how many punters across? Listeners of the podcast, this is stats happening is in it. front of your ears. This is, this is business happening live. Yeah. We're here doing yeah. business. Uh, yeah, so sure. two sessions of three and a half hours. Ooh. Three and a half hours? Yeah. And a little hour gap in the middle okay. for us to eat, fill our bellies, and then go back to pouring for some happy punters in a brewery. How was the food? All right. uh, there was a Greek... Uh, kind oh, of yeah. uh, food stand at the back. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's technically a caravan, uh, nice. which, which pleased me massively. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they were pour- they were making a really good like gyros, which is also not how you pronounce that word. The heroes. Heroes. We're back to accents again. Well, Let's, not do help, this. Help, help. Let's not do this. You're getting just that just was, mildly. That was warmed yeah. up. You're getting yeah, a bit don't fresh. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, anyway, some delicious. Uh, <laughs> Chicken and a pita bread with Ooh. some uh, kind of tzatziki thing on it. Yep. Very good. Scale from one to ten. How is their tzatziki? I have no reference point. I was very hungry and it was exactly oh, what yeah, I needed. So it was just amazing. It was a straight no ten. What. It yeah, was food handed to me, consumed, <laughs> and then back to the cold, cold the face as it hole. was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So two sessions, hours break. What was your next question? Ballpark it was, number of punters. 
I don't have enough fingers to count that. Okay. Good like, attendance. You felt, I felt you like were was, busy yeah, for like a nice, sessions? Nice bunch of people, loads mm. of uh, lovely people asking questions, trying things. Thank you to the people that bought bottles. Mm. That was very nice of you. Meant I had fewer to carry home. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. It's great that you were able to sell. There you go. Yeah. Also super unusual. Most festivals yeah. in the UK are done in partnership with a retailer. So you have to do the old take a photo of the bottle, point them in the direction of the shop, and off they go. Whereas here was great. I have a new card machine. Mm. And as it's just me, you, and you, and the <laughs> listeners... <laughs> I'll tell you that I may have been most excited about using the card machine All right. slightly more than pouring whiskey. <laughs> not because I'm not excited about yeah. pouring whiskey, well. because I always am. But the card machine, let me tell you guys, it's amazing. It's all touch screen. Uh-huh. Yeah. You do a boop boop. It does a, it's got photographs on it. I can upload images of the stock. We're recording oh. on it right now. Yeah, I'm actually, <laughs> and uh, I'm listening to. Uh, I bought three bottles in the time we've yeah. done this introduction. All, all the listeners are panicking now. They're like, "Are my card details attached to this device?" Yeah. yeah, if you could just wave your credit card past your phone right now, we'll just we'll just send a bottle to you. Yeah, didn't have to tap. No, nope, don't great. even have to tap. If you want to decline the transaction, press hash key twice. <laughs> beep beep. Turn around three times. <laughs> Say the word no. <laughs> Stop. Um, yes, yeah, so that was really fun. Uh, we had some bottles. We had um, the RW4 to pour for people. Four. 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 Uh, I had a few old favourites out of the cupboard that was great oh. fun. Come on, name names. A few little cheeky wee numbers that maybe I've borrowed from stocks that previously went to America. That's it. Oh. Don't make the podcast listeners angry. Come on, name names. Uh, what do we have? We had uh, one of the four squares that went to the US oh, that we nice. Nice. were pouring. What else do we have? We had, uh, I'll tell you what we did great marketing with, the <laughs> Mac Mirror. Everybody loved the Mac Mirror. Oh, yeah. that's great. That's yeah. really good. And people were really excited to try it. Um, I have talked previously, it was quite strange to be at a festival not in Scotland, because that's predominantly where I obviously do festivals. Yeah. It was really fun to have people coming up to the stand and from the get-go saying, oh, we hear you have some Swedish whiskey. Wow. wow. Can we try it? Awesome. So glad to hear that. Yeah, so am I. That's very cool. And it wasn't even because I had Swede Scott being Swedish behind the table. It was ah. uh, people coming up and being like... We see you've got some oh, Mac Mirror. So that was really good fun. Yeah. Was there anything particular that they were... Obviously, they'd heard about it, but then anything in particular they liked about it as I, they were I tasting I think people it? just like the style of the whiskey. That it, At the top of the show, you know, it's quite an easy ABV whiskey to mm-hmm. start with. Yeah, I think natural. It's 47 and a half. People okay. love that. Oh, they were very yeah. interested in kind of the story that yeah. we've talked about before, that the whiskey's aged underground, so that's why it's a funny ABV, perhaps, for a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, people just, you know, lapped it up, and that was great. I was delighted to be pouring it for people. There you go. Um, from some of the old archive stock I had a bottle of the Dal UN8 from one of the previous RWs. okay um, not the happy accident that got sold not the happy accident online that in the US the nine, the that little, was the nine year old the little blondie one yeah. ah. of ours and I think I had um, a split bottles worth of a Dal UN10 that had gone to the US retail okay. uh, and people were just loving Dal UN as maybe like a yeah. slightly unusual edition of it being uh, a lighter version mm. and kind of just loving it up. We know that we love Dalian, so it's always fun to pour. Um, yeah, just a couple of things that I had in the cupboard that were kind of bottle ends from the bottling runs because uh, I always love to go to a festival, get people really hooked on mm. something and then tell them they can't have it. 
<laughs> that's how I like to ruin everybody's good day out. So yeah, it was it was really lovely. It was also really nice to be kind of in a room with or a, a spread across. We're in a brewery, um, spread across a space with a chunk of other independent bottlers who I don't really get an excuse to hang out with very often. So it was really nice afterwards. We Festival. all went to the pub. So um, big shout out to guys like Rachel and George at Fragrant Drops, um, Andy and Ali at Little Brown Dog. Dana, <laughs> the guys at um, Uncharted, Dana and Jack, um, Paul McKendrick from Lady of the Glen. Ah, uh, Paul, so, awesome. Like, just talking yeah. about today. Very I nice. could literally just reel off most of the indie bottlers that you yes. know, um, but it was really nice to just be out with everybody. And I've not been in Newcastle for years, so that was great. Um, it's there a fun city to be in. Yeah, so uh, that was that was the Love Festival, Indie Love. Cool. Um, be- before we move away from, yeah, from, yeah, from yeah. Indie, was there an ROW for favourite? Um, going across the table I honestly did think did you pour the darkest coke Ben Rennes? I did and do you know what's really funny people liked it but it's not what they stopped on okay like, interesting uh, we did much better with the Linkwood than the Ben Rennes. oh the French oak so oh, I mean like, everybody knows that's kind of a little pet favourite of mine oh. but I wasn't pushing it particularly hard mm-hmm. um, and I think people were just really enjoying that yeah. kind of very marmalade uh, bouncy delicious liquid of the liquid nice. um definitely people nice. were obviously picking up the ben rennes it's very hard to have whiskey hard that to. color on a table and have somebody walk on by right. um but i think gabby dion warwick do, 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 do. um i think yeah people liked it but it, i was surprised because i when we've poured dark as dark things at other festivals you and i both know the reach is a 10 minute mark where that bottle has to yes. go under yeah. the table Correct. Correct. and the ben rennes was out on the table the whole day Wow. So, that's wild. Yeah. I guess maybe the people in Newcastle have very different palettes. Or, or which maybe is the fun. people the who go to dark. IB festivals are very true, yeah. looking for more ex bourbon or more. Yeah. Sure. Well, who knows? Whatever it is, I, I like that. I, You know, the color's not going to dissuade some people. That's cool. It's, it's nice to be on the receiving end of what we try to preach and practice right. of don't look at the colour and, right. and then then to have a bottle on the table and be like why do people want the really dark one it's, <laughs> that's what we're training them to do guys we're training yeah, them to yeah. be like give me the one that's uh, the palest palest <laughs> yeah, the liquid is not the palest on the, that no, the table the liquid is not right? the palest but it's that's kind of more chestnutty I don't I don't put that that doesn't look like a sherry bomb it looks like it's got some colour happening yeah. in it but it's not a sherry bomb coca-cola in your glass type wow. whiskey okay. yeah. so yeah I I had a lot of fun and it, like I say really unusual to be with just indie bottlers give or take Glenn Murray on the table behind us Wild. So such a wild notion um, well as much as you had ROW4 on the table there we will be back later in this episode to talk about mm. ROW5 yes. dun, dun, dun. with you but in the meantime yeah so as usual I'm jealous of anybody who gets to go to Israel and I don't get to go to Israel but Eve, our, our importer over there, invited us to Whiskey Live Tel Aviv, which I think yeah. Tomer runs that. Does Tomer it does. emanate? Yeah. I, I think it's actually a legal obligation for Tomer to be involved in every in form of whiskey <laughs> every in Israel. Whiskey. And whatever he has time to get involved in, malt stock, Whiskey Live, whiskey judging. Yeah. Um, I am of a firm belief that that man does not sleep. He's yeah. a bit of a 
Yeah, there's a superhero thing, like a whiskey superhero. <laughs> Maybe he's just reached a point where if he sleeps now, that's Tom will be like out of the game for 20 years. <laughs> you know, and you, you, know, you just you can't stop now. It's in motion. Keep going. Yeah. This is the end. You can't. <laughs> the wheels have set off. We can't stop. Yeah. So yeah. Um, he he and the guys are very um, busy running uh, Whiskey Live, which is lovely. Um, yeah, I went to Tel Aviv predominantly just to eat things uh, and I was like how do I get to expense hummus to the company account <laughs> done <laughs> done and done I'll pour whiskey for some people all like, your receipts were hummus based was, receipts yeah. Yep. yeah you're joking but for three days that is pretty much all I've eaten so <laughs> <laughs> and, until I went and ate some tomatoes yeah. alright um, there's a a, a famous-ish chain run by an Israeli chef called Miznon and he's he's famous for his obsession with food and kind of um, heritage and the, how it ties to the land or the sea and he, he does this kind of fairly famous tomato dish so after three days of hummus I thought I'd mix some vegetables back in <laughs> some well, tomatoes I mean, hummus is it did come with hummus and tahini yeah. and it was still in a pitta well, so it was in a form technically a fruit so Okay, well, it was still it was still an edible. Of a All right, so you had edibles, edibles as well. Oh God, okay. no, no. This was this was whiskey man, and weed live. Thirty-eight degrees. It was too hot for literally everything. If I'm honest with you, for the Americans out there, right that's 30, 38 <laughs> centigrade Celsius. Yeah, What's which probably in? puts you right around a hundred. Uh, 36 mm. centigrade is 96, 97 yeah. Fahrenheit. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. So. I My only measure to this is to uh, get in a taxi and have an Israeli driver tell you how awful the heat is. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, if well, that's, that's good because there's a very pale person who's not great with extreme heat for a long period of time. I did okay. I, I walked quite a lot of the city, to be honest, and I was impressed by myself because... It was really hot. Um, and you tend to wear darker clothes too. So yeah, everybody just, knows that I live in black and stripes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like a zebra? I don't, I don't know where we're going with this. You sound like you're in prison. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's very much my vibe, actually. Plates. And I've mentioned it. That's, uh, with if you've exposed watched, ankles. Yeah, oh, yeah, I've got the ankles out. Ankles out and the wrists. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> you're like a Victorian going to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> stripes. That's absolutely if I had a Pinterest mood board for my outfits. Uh, that crossed with um, I take most of my styling from three year old girls. I, I live in dungarees and pinafores. So <laughs> I very much style myself on my friend's daughter. And headbands. You, and now I've added headbands. I fully yeah. regressed myself <laughs> back to primary school level dressing with alcohol. Um, there was I would like to point out there was none of that. I wasn't there was no alcohol in pri- primary school. Well, maybe the teachers, but not us. It's a very complicated vibe. So, what did Whiskey Live look like? Was this your was this your first time at a Whiskey Live? Had you been in other countries? Um, hmm. Was it, and this was your first time at? I actually think that might be Israel's my first Whiskey Live. My first Whiskey Live of any right. variety and geographical location. How have I managed that? I guess because there's so many whiskey festivals. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, well, you do a lot of the. I do more kind of like, the, like the yeah. I do Cinderella on yeah. Vi- Viking line, as the Swedes no, call it. Well Viking line, East. Viking line. Scandies yeah. are loving it. Uh, and obviously London Whiskey Show, which yeah. I'll be at at the end of the month, uh, and Glasgow Whiskey Festival, which will be at, at as a punter. As a punter, we do not have a table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's good, not good enough hummus in London for me to put that down as an expensable yeah uh, trip. So yeah, I have to I have to be a punter at that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know that I've I've only ever been to one whiskey live. It was Glasgow, 2009, 
and Richard Patterson, who I saw for the very first time, got on a chair to make an announcement to the room. Uh-huh. And that was the day that I found out Richard Patterson is not a tall man. All right. Not a tall man. Well, you're also very tall. Yeah, you're right. Not you're an a average tall man. height. And I was traveling with Uncle Carl, who's 6'5". Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So anybody looks like... I mean, anybody compared but, to you guys. But anyway, so that was that was my one and only Whiskey Live. Is that the it, very famous Whiskey Live in Glasgow that everybody talks that's about? That's not as, true. You went to Whiskey Live Boston with me. Oh, shoot. Yep. Was that Whiskey Live? That was Whiskey Live Boston. Oh, interesting. Yep, that was Dave Sweet's first year in Boston. Ah. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Nice one. That yeah. was fun. That was a good night. Yeah, I think we went, did we go with Steve Mathis? The Mountain Pastors? I think you're right, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I don't maybe remember yeah. Dickie P getting on a chair. In yeah. Israel, in Tel Aviv, did Dickie P get in a chair? Dickie P wasn't there. There, no and chairs. A, to my knowledge, nobody got on a chair. Ah. That I know of. Right. Um, yes, I was there with our importer, Eve, as you mentioned, and yep. his business partner, Shai, uh, for vintage whiskey. Mm-hmm. For those of us who are... Mm-hmm. Is really based and listening, and I was invited to host a couple of masterclasses in the evening, pouring Ooh. predominantly RW four, which <laughs> Eve has pouring predominantly single cast nation. <laughs> I had previously hoped that was a given. <laughs> I didn't realise I needed to state I was there as single cast She's nation. Moonlighting now <laughs> <laughs> with uh, inserts some other brand here. <laughs> It's like the old days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've uh, actually just decided. Uh, no, so okay. although when I was on the stand, I was obviously pouring other people that Eve has as part of Vintage Whiskey. So, ah, so you were doing a bit of moonlighting. Yeah, not as the masterclass, but on the table, he obviously brings in um, Berry Brothers and Rudd. Um, okay. The Nectar in Belgium. Oh, there was nice. a few oh, yeah, bottles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great, Got a little chig from them. That's brands. real yeah. bright, real fruity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eve himself Cracker. has bottled um, nice. a lovely Kalila 11-year-old, which I will try and find some way to get you some of. Lala. All right. Um, yeah. It's got a Hieronymus Bosch label on it. What's very, Hieronymus very, Bosch? Very dramatic. What's Hieronymus? It's one of the... Um, oh, Art critics of the podcast are going to write in at questions under. Um, and just to be clear, Haida's degree is in, is in art. I, in I've art had history. full reassurance from Haida she doesn't listen to us. Except <laughs> when, it's, when it's her podcast. Yeah, that's a good point. So I'm not in trouble with her. So that's, that's cool. Um, they're the kind of like very, they're that era of paintings. They're sort of five, six hundred years old now. They're from like the 14, 1500s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're the paintings that have got like lots of things going on. The words for this is totally failing me. So if I was me in the car driving right now, I'd be, be like, for the love the of God. bloody word. <laughs> what, what is the name of that? That's um, so easy when you're on here, is it, Jess? Is it? Shut hmm. up. Is it? Uh, a baboon. Yeah. Shouts at us all the time. So, yeah, but it's not the colour of a whiskey. I, I can't <laughs> think... They're not impressionists. Um, it's a definite... Yeah, anyway, they're they're incredibly detailed and some of them are quite graphic and quite terrifying to look at paintings. Oof. Okay. Oh. What is the word? Do you know this or you I just don't know. you're I'm not, not holding out me? No, okay. No. Maybe I'm, if you say it, I'll be like, oh that's what the word is. I'll think about it for was. halfway through a point when it'll be entirely inappropriate for me to shout <laughs> the words. Um yeah, so Eva's picked this um, image on the label and it uh, it's quite a cool it's one of the the paintings are of a series where you could kind of look at them for days at a time. There's lots of stuff happening in it, and the detail oh. is incredible. So, like a Where's Waldo 
slash where's Waldo. Well, I don't want to reduce it to that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> now I get it. Waldoism. Now where's Waldo from? Waldoism. Waldoism. From the 1500s. <laughs> Eve's going to be furious. <laughs> Sorry, Eve. Um, yes, so uh, he, he had his own stuff on the table. Quick, move away from the art. Can't yeah, do that. Can yeah, do whiskey. Um, so yeah, we uh, were pouring lots of stuff on the table. And again, Mac Mirror, absolutely, people were loving it. Wow, there right. we go. Super, super okay. good. Fits Latin with clear. the palette. People, again, were interested like in the we story. we need more macaroni. Now I'm getting hungry. Stop yeah, it. you put a feather in your hat and then you call it macaroni. Listen, we... Quick, I'll, I'll, we can, I'll save this. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so, yeah. um, my... my <laughs> On the Mac Mirror, before we disappeared down that yeah. hole, it was really fun to be at a whiskey festival in Israel, pouring our stuff. Very exciting. My first time there as Single Cast Nation. Oh, but on awesome. our table, it wasn't just us who had a Swedish whiskey, um, because Berry Brothers and Rudd had done a, have done, I think, two series now of Nordic casks. Mm. And oh. Eve had on the table, for our Finnish listeners, a Tirenpilly. Oh, nice. And he oh. had a Smurgen. So that's a oh, smoky cool. style Swedish yeah, whiskey yeah, yeah. from the northwest coast from wow. a guy called Per Callenby. Yeah. Wow. And and so a very similar question from Newcastle, what was what was punter response like around Nordic whiskies, Nordic single casks? I think because as a market, the kind of people that are going to a whiskey festival in Tel Aviv, they're used to trying, obviously, milk and honey, and I tried a couple of other Israeli whiskies. Uh you know, they're not so tied to the idea of whiskey only being from Scotland. Obviously, the very vast majority of yeah. people are Scotch yeah, whiskey sure. drinkers and Scotch yep, whiskey yep. fans. Yep. But it's not such a weird proposition to be like, oh, well, while you're here, would you like to try a whiskey from Tirumpilly Distillery? Nice. Would you like to try, uh, you know, so. That's great to hear. We did really well with all of those. So it was, it was great fun. Uh, and mm. it was obviously, I had some little... Cheeky Westlands that I brought I for the masterclass. at your masterclass. Obviously, uh, I'm legally obliged to only half look like single cast nation, half <laughs> Westland. Um, <laughs> yes, I poured our Moscatel and the ah. peated. That was really painful for me to pour it because I don't like giving those whiskeys to anybody. It is tough so Tel Aviv. You were lucky, lucky people. Wow. There you go. Yeah, and they went down really well. I think people were excited to try. Westland and something a little bit different that wasn't just as straightforward as a it, it, it adds an extra complicated level of conversation uh-huh. to be having about you know single cast single malts but also mixing in then some of the Westland story and our connection to Westland so yeah. well and and speaking of on this trip we haven't cracked it together yet I don't know if we intend to crack it together but I brought you the the Jack Rose Mezcal Cask oh, Westland. Yeah. <laughs> Can we oh. drink three bottles? How many days do we have? Dude, see if we... If I've said on the podcast before, when we opened Joshua's bottle in Philadelphia, Fuck. I you crushed it. Crushed it. it. If we open your bottle on this trip, I will crush it. So When, when are we dropping this? Because give or take that, Sweet Scott may be on a, yeah, right. a, an immediate, <laughs> immediate jump in the car. He's, yeah. That screeching noise in the distance is him arriving into Elgin. Yeah, this, is, this has been recorded for the future, for the we, future. we will have ended yeah. this trip by the time he hears any words so that could be even worse that could yeah. be in even more trouble you'll oh, have left by then his <laughs> bottle broke in transit oh Oopsie no doopsie sorry oh, pal <laughs> sorry glug 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 I wouldn't do that to you it's okay <laughs> 
I'm saying that because you two are going back to the States and I have to remain in this country. <laughs> Hell, I'm going back to Jack Rose. I'm there October mm. 1 and I will be getting, well, listen, and it's still there, more of the Mezcal Westland. Okay. I'm thirsty now. So, mm-hmm. so listen, yeah, we, we, need to, we need to take a little break from our talking hmm. so we can drink the whiskey that's in our glass. But Jason, can you just give our readers... Readers? Readers. Are, readers. <laughs> <laughs> are they not readers? They are. I'm wearing readers. Are we readers. not doing this no, for print? I'm wearing my bifocals. Yeah, do we not email them? These are not my readers. I thought we emailed this and we put it onto a PDF, PDF. and we emailed oh. them out. To transcript. Finally, the podcast will have a transcript that I can read. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Fan-dabby-dozy. It's going to come out in the next periodical. Um, <laughs> At your local library. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to say too much here. You know, obviously, we've had a ton of fun sitting here talking to each other. I've certainly been dramming away while we've been talking. Right. But we are going to go over here to to Alan Winchester and Jonathan Christie of of the and uh, gosh, when the Scotsman comes home yes. and pronounces and the Scottish words to Scots, yeah. the number of times I get corrected. I think she thought you were Irish. <laughs> Irish American. It was his Welsh accent. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so you're going to hear Alan and Jonathan saying the cabrach plenty of times. Yeah. And I may very well have the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. I will allow them to pronounce it and I will allow them to set the scene for us. Yeah. So the listeners know exactly what is happening in this interview. Hello to Jonathan Christie, Chief Executive with the Cabrick Trust, and Alan Winchester, Master of Malt. Uh, with the same, we have been joking today, just cutting straight to legend, but it's brilliant to meet you both, to be on site with you both. Um, I'm a lowlander, I'm not going to pretend to pronounce the name of the farm where we're sitting. So would you mind for our listeners giving the name of the farm and letting us know about the Cabra Trust, please? Wonderful. Well, it's great to be speaking with you. And uh, yeah, so we're sitting at Inverharrick Farm, which is in the lower Cabrach, uh on the very rugged edge of Speyside. And the Cabra Trust itself, we were discussing before we came in here to, to uh, start recording, to get this on wax. We're saying the Cabra Trust has been around 10 years, but... Until our friend Greg Swartz has started bringing it up to us and talking to us about it, we hadn't heard anything about it. In talking, it sounds like there's been a major push in the last couple of years, almost coming out of this pandemic and really rolling up sleeves and getting to work. Could you frame for us what was going on 10 years ago and and why does it feel like the last couple of years has really been uh, the oomph? Yeah, wonderful. I mean, before speaking about the Cabaret Trust, I probably kind of set the the Cabaret itself in context. So um, an incredibly beautiful, incredibly rural and kind of quite high and remote area of northeast Scotland. Um, A place with an incredible history of people, of stories, of whiskey making, both legal and illicit, but also a place that's been dealt a really difficult hand. Uh, across the last 100 years in particular. Um, The First World War having a massive impact upon the place, men and boys going off to battle, and in many cases never returning, either Mm. through death on the battlefield or kind of settling elsewhere. And uh, the reality of losing so many men and boys to the area was that it became a really difficult place for kind of families to sustain life and a living, which started a real 
sustained period of depopulation for the Cabrich, which has been ongoing for the last 100 years, exacerbated by World War II, exacerbated by changes in land ownership and use, uh, to the point where 10 years ago when the Cabrich Trust was formed, the community as a whole was at a really low ebb. Mm. So the Cabrich Trust in terms of inception was opportunistic. Our founder and chairman, Grant Gordon, uh, had an opportunity to purchase Inverharrick Farm. And uh, we have 170 acres here. We've got four old steading buildings. We've got another collection of small buildings as well. So we had the opportunity to purchase it 10 years ago uh, with the immediate view of owning it as a charitable uh, proposition. Uh, the project being community owned, being governed uh, by our community. So trustees brought from the community to support our objectives, to set mm -hmm. our strategy. And, uh, and from the outset, the Cabaret Trust has been about regenerating this community uh, through a number of very interesting ways. The most significant of those being the idea of creating this single malt Scotch whiskey distillery in the Cabaret and returning legal <laughs> distillation to the cabaret for the first time in 170 years. And, and so, so, so there was this idea, there was the farm coming along, then there's this idea of renovation, rejuvenation. You then hit a, a pandemic period. You came on after the pandemic? You got involved with this project and started, I don't really want to say putting your thumbprint on it, but it sounds like maybe enacting what had been in discussion for, for eight years or so. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. I think there had been an incredible, um, an incredible body of work, you know, all these ideas across seven, eight years of what we could do as a charitable trust to bring about the change that we all want to see. What does regeneration look like for mm -hmm. a community? Uh, how is that sustainable? And the idea of placing a distillery at the heart of that sustainability and regeneration journey is beautiful. You know, mm -hmm. it's a great idea. But joining um, the trust in 2021, coming out of a global pandemic, uh, having again felt like the community was at a real low ebb in terms of population, in terms of belief, in terms of shared affinity with the project goals as a whole, it was an opportunity to really kind of either do or don't. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. are we going to start walking the walk here or continuing to talk the talk and not necessarily bringing about the change that we're wanting to see. Sure. So it was an opportunity to really take stock and hold on to those ideas and bring it into a really robust shape. So I definitely want to circle back to discussing the distillery that you're working on on site here. But Alan, when you and I were up on site, you're pointing off over various hills. Jonathan just now was talking about a history of distillation in this area, this lower Cabrach. Can you talk to that for us a bit? Can you put some some leaves on those branches, some distilleries, some history, yeah. some production there? Yeah, well, I, I, I love the history of the area and I love the history of making whiskey uh, wherever it is. But yet here in my back door, I live eight miles away down in the, the capital of whiskey making in Dufftown, but just off the Carbrick. But everybody in the area, everybody in the northeast knows about the Carbrick. They know about this. Oh, yeah, it's that area. It's a desolate place. So much of it's above a thousand feet. But the history of the Carbrick is fascinating. I'm always looking at that map over there. It's a map of emptiness. Well, everybody <laughs> says it's empty, but it's not. You know, early man was up here. Edward I visited here. Uh, 
an important area, but it's on the edge of the big agricultural parts of Aberdeenshire. It's the Highland Line. Mm -hmm. It's the Highland Line that whisky set up. As whisky developed and illicit distillation grew, what a great place to make whisky. Here in Glenlivet next door, uh, down over into Brunmar, great place. And then they were smuggling it out to the markets, either through the drove routes, etc. I love walking the mountains, so what's better? But what I'd been brought up with, with there's hardly anything left about it. Well, that's not true. If you study the landscape here, there's a lot of illicit distilling. I suppose it's like going to Kentucky and looking for moonshiners. Because <laughs> exactly this is what it was. Jonathan touches on the aims of it. And there was a legal industry here. The reason for it failing is complex, but remoteness is part of it. Yet, when you think Glenlivet is remote, uh, you're going later up the Spey today, that rich, fertile area, uh, which is Spey, which grew barley, we grew barley here and we're returning barley here to its roots to make whiskey. So that's it's an exciting project to be part of. Uh, I'm at the, I'm long past the end of my career, but I, it's something that I can give something back to just to give them a hand, etc. And speak about whiskey uh, and look <laughs> forward. Uh, you were looking at me when uh, Jonathan says we'll get make some fantastic whiskey in the back still, and we're saying yes, yes, but we'll we'll use all our expertise to. Take something from the roots of this area and give it back and open up a style that hopefully will be interesting to folk. That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about whiskey style in, in a little bit. I, I heard you mention some some touchstone whiskies, give people an idea of, of what may be coming out of these, these stills. But a few weeks back, um, Ollie had said, you, you've got to talk to Alan. <laughs> Alan, you'll you'll walk around and Alan will just look up in a hill and said, "Oh, that's a place where illicit distillation." <laughs> you just seem to have the, this knack for it. And so, a question for you is: Looking at this land, are, are you is where the distillery is being built? Is it on a on a spot where distilling had happened previously, legally or or illegally? Most definitely yeah. illegally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. every, everywhere in, in the Carbrich would have been involved in making whiskey at the era. Yeah. This is the bicentenary of the passing of the 1823 Distilling Act. Yeah. In the next few years, as illicit distilling is suppressed, 80 folk will leave this area to go to America, uh, Canada, Jamaica, yeah. because there's no opportunities here. Oh, wow. this, the establishment, the legal uh, distilling, speaks to the Duke of Gordon and courage in the landowners. Mm -hmm. You look at that map and you just colour it Duke of Gordon and its era, yeah. or the Duke of Fife, yeah. and they were keen to promote legal distillation. They had aided and abetted for years. They knew it was up here. Uh, in the upper Carbrich, yeah. some of the farmers paid their rents on time. Where were they getting the money from? <laughs> they were smuggling whiskey to the market. Mm -hmm. One of my favourite stories of the smugglers up here is they took back the newspapers from Aberdeen. Uh, you'll know mm -hmm. well uh, mm -hmm. the Press and Journal. Mm -hmm. Well, the Press and Journal, yeah. they took that back and it told them about the victory of 
against the French and the Napoleonic eras because that had pushed illicit whiskey up, pushed the value it up. So the Duke managed to get some legal distilleries established mm -hmm. and uh, unfortunately a lot of them failed. But many of the folk connected with them are connected with the modern whiskey industry to this day. Uh, so the big export after that was the people down to the establishing of the distilleries in the Speyside area or the Fiddick Valley, etc., yeah. etc. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. Jonathan, you had spoken about the the area itself since maybe World War One to now losing a just a good number of people, obviously through war. But I wonder if you could talk about your knowledge of of what it was like prior to that, and what else has contributed to the loss of community in the area. Yeah, I mean the key, the, the, the as Alan says, the stories of the the Cabrick are incredible, and they're uh, stories that revolve around people and families, and this being home for so many for so long. Mm -hmm. uh, another project that the Cabrick Trust is leading on is um, a project called Cabrick Lives, yeah. which is looking at the the heritage and the diaspora of the Cabrick. Mm -hmm. You know, for you take a walk around the Cabrick, and you'll kind of see homes that are still lived in. You'll see more homes that once were. They are mm -hmm. derelict. They're nothing but a gable end standing there. Yeah. Sometimes they're nothing but a kind of a planted flower bed that still has flowers coming up in the spring, but no one having lived there for hundreds of years. Yeah. So there's, you can really feel that tangible loss across the community. Yeah. But it was an incredibly tight-knit community as well. As well. One of our oldest residents in the Upper Cabaret, who's actually just recently moved down to um, sheltered accommodation in Huntley, um, she remembers growing up in the Cabaret. She remembers looking out her window across the valley, hmm. seeing the lights on of neighbours and that bringing that sense of comfort and security. Yeah. But as decades passed, lights were no, no longer on and one by one they went out. So the, the sense of lost is, has been very rapid and very real sure. as the place has, um, has been depeopled. Um, the, the contributing factors over and above the, the First and Second World Wars, again, are, are quite complex. I suppose there's an aspect of industrial revolution, people leaving rural communities, mm -hmm. going to towns and cities. Yeah, sure. and, uh, and there has been a reversal of that in part attributable to the pandemic when people suddenly realised that they could be <laughs> yeah. in a rural setting, <laughs> yeah. working remotely, yeah. uh, providing they had Wi-Fi and it works. So yeah, so the Industrial Revolution played a part. Mm -hmm. um, changes in land use, as I mentioned, you know, yeah. the the history would be sort of smallhold subsistence living, yeah. crofting. Yeah. And as land changes, small crofts become small farms that become yeah. subsumed into larger farms that in some cases become part of sprawling sporting estates. So a land that once supported tens, twenties, thirty mm. families now has a principal landowner with a package of sporting agriculture, uh, renewable projects. So the capacity yeah. for that land to support the same population is very different as well. So sure. a, a whole host of things kind of all within this kind of microcosm in the Cabrick that have conspired against it. Yeah. But the idea that we can stall, reverse, regenerate is incredibly rom romantic. I'd be the first to say, but also really <laughs> tangible now as well. And I, I have read um, a little bit of when you're talking about the trust names. I quite like the idea that, I mean, obviously, as we're whiskey drinkers, we're starting with a distillery and that's very exciting. But to me, like you say, when you're, you're driving through and I've, I've been up in these hills since I was very wee. Yeah, this kind of idea of like 
huge gaps of space between everything happening. So the future aim that maybe it also would encourage some sort of repopulation and bringing those lights back on in houses, I think is uh, pretty exciting. And I like the idea that we have a, a sort of vested interest that we can get involved through the whiskey bit first. It's, it's slightly selfish, but it's nice that it's a wholesome and we're giving back to the community attached to it. So yeah, I, I think it's um, really exciting. And today being able to walk around the site and see as you're explaining, you know, we've got sort of structures of buildings, but not roofs on buildings. I'm excited to keep coming back here and watching those roofs come on, this lovely Welsh slate that we've talked about, coming back to being able to come and have like a wee cup of tea and a cheese scone, that's very important, <laughs> uh, and be able to you know take home a bottle of something. Is, I think something as a wider thing I'm really enjoying with the whiskey kind of regeneration in Scotland that it's we've got such a sense of heritage and you know distilleries when you get to them we've been here since 1794 the idea that now in my lifetime I can watch these distilleries grow up and so that I can say to future generations oh I was at the Cabra and it was just you know we were talking about putting a concrete flooring down to hold silos you know that kind of <laughs> I was there <laughs> let me tell you we had this thing called the pandemic we all stayed indoors for a while and then we decided yeah we we should just start building things. Uh, so I, this is a really kind of um, an interesting, uh, I think project sounds like I'm underselling it, but I'm really excited to, to watch it and to have people like Alan, obviously, that have got such a kind of legendary status, also <laughs> steering the ship a little bit, I think is, yeah, really cool. And I will continue to drive this slightly long-winded way back down <laughs> south uh, through the Cabrock and just enjoy the hills. I always love watching them as we go by. Carefully, obviously. You should be looking at the road when you're driving, not just <laughs> into the hills seeing, do you think there was distilling up there? <laughs> yeah. Don't do the pointing and driving kicks. <laughs> so, so with all of that beautifully said, can, can we talk about the whiskey, the, the plan, the goals, the building, the stills? Talk to us. <laughs> Details. That's one for Alan to kick off with, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, the... the uh, the the legend of the Cabrick whiskey was that it uh, had top billing in the Aberdeen market. Uh, we can find that in the Press and Journal. Looking at it, it had top market. It, its reputation was good, and we know that because they kept the old names. They kept the Cabrick name. They kept the Buck name as an identity to the Cabrick whiskey. You know the the story it goes smooth as milk and that it's that's the only real descriptors we get is when king george asks for the illicit whiskey it's smooth as milk long and uncorked bottles and and matured he mm -hmm. speaks about it long and wood which is always fascinating uh, the quality of the whiskey of course is really underpins what speyside is really about you know floral sort of style of whiskey. Mm -hmm. What was the whiskey like in the Cabrick? We just we just have inklings of that, but we know that their only fuel here was peat. So there's a hint to that. You drove in over from Dufton today, as you the as you come over and you look to the back, to the left and to the right is where the Dufton distilleries took their peat. Balvenie, Glenfiddich, Mortlich took their peats from there. So there's something in that that we would like to explore. Probably we want to explore sorts of other parts of it. We looked at the equipment and what they were, the style they were making. They were low yielding in that time. We have the early records of the distilleries, but I think we want to pay. We want to pay 
We want to root the style in the traditional style, which will be Speyside, but we'll look at things. So we've given the flexibility to the process that we're going to use local grains here. We're going to use worm tubs. So that's a, that's a buzzword for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to use worm tubs, but the way you use the worm tub is important in making the spirit, how you run it, etc. Because we've had endless debates about that, where distillers will never agree in one one subject. We will have different views and different things, and we're going to look. We have a wooden uh, fermenters. The other thing is we did archaeological uh, work. The Calbrick Trust supported uh, the, the, uh, the archaeological dig at Black Midden's distillery where we see what's there and with a hint of what they were up to there. So that's good to play to one of the stills within this uh, uh, operation. I love that whiskey constantly does this paradox of looking backwards and forwards at the same time. <laughs> you said Black Midden, so what we've done, but we're also going forward, like we're going to put that in. And you've mentioned a few times, both of you, the Buck Still, uh, which is a throwback to this idea of maybe slightly testier times of making whiskey. Could you maybe expand on that? Yes, well, <laughs> the archaeologists and the historians that looked at it seemed to think that the back run with one dis- one pot still. The 1823 distilling art says that you should have two, mm. the wash still and the low wines and faint still. But we do know that there is evidence that some of them were so small that they asked for that sort of concession, so it was given. Mm. So we're wanting to play with that idea here where we do the wash distillation, produce the low wine, and then subsequently distill the low wines and then the faints in the second distillation. So we've got a small still, direct fired with a worm tab. So we're wanting to play with that and see what it's done. This now, is you're saying all the right words, all the padcast listeners are taking off small stills, some worm tubs on the go, direct fires. This is sounding tasty already. Yeah, oh yes, yeah. Remember I was I was a larger distiller as well, so I can always say, Oh yeah, you know, a big still, lots of copper contact, etc. But, uh, but these are Early distilleries, the early distilleries were the the rush that came after the 1824 distilling art, all started in very humble beginnings, like where we will be at yeah. this point in our journey. So that's going to be interesting to look back to see how they dealt yeah. with scale at that time. I think you're you're very right. I think I think one of the fascinating things we're going to innovate. But we're going to look back in the history books to get the clues from some some of these things. We'll probably be saying, oh, well, that didn't work, but we've tried this and found it and they maybe did this. And that that has been my journey and distilling all over the years. But I think that's part of a given, though. I, I don't think... Um I think it's pretty unreasonable for you to have gone through all the huge amount of work we're seeing happen here and expect you to get it bang on first time. In fact, mm. I think we'd maybe all be a little bit disappointed if you just came in, <laughs> hit it on the nose, and from day one started smashing out of the park. Like, we want to feel like we've come on a journey with you. Uh, and part of the learning about what your equipment and what you're doing, and especially if you're looking to make it, you know, local uh, sourced ingredients, it, I think there's a... a a tolerance within whiskey to allow for you to learn so yeah that's I think there's a really honest curiosity there as well yeah. because it's curiosity about what it might look like and taste like and it's curiosity about how it might 
operate in the very worst of a cabaret winter. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, it's curiosity about who's going to engage in the story mm. in the way that we can have hope that they will in terms of hearts and minds. And I, re- I mean, the curiosity kind of underpinned actually kind of being drawn to the project as well. It's a really, it's a really beautiful idea. It's quite a brave idea and yeah. it was definitely unproven. So the curiosity of that was actually amazing as well. That takes me back to the story when I started in the whiskey industry and a young guy, you know, I'd had a couple of years and I was into production, onto shifts and we're cleaning these spirit stills. Uh, at Glenfartless where I started and they're massive pot stills and you had to clean them every week because they're direct fired mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. so you had to scrub it and I'm in and I've got the hose and I'm hosing the top of the inside of the still and the old stillman uh, took my arm he says don't do that he says he'll upset the flavour of the whiskey. There you and go. I says, God, here we go again. These old, <laughs> these old <laughs> traditions, etc. And I remember a few years later, we were we were we had a compound that we were looking at, and the boffins looked at it and they says, "Don't upset the patina of the top of the still." And I says, "Ah." My old colleague knew what he was speaking about and maybe he didn't understand the science. So that, and I've got that in my back of the head thinking, we're going to try this one distillation. It's two distillations and one still. Yeah. I'll be fascinated to see what that produces. Being careful with your caustic and the scrubbing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I've got uh, two questions, seeing as we're talking about the buck, this particular still. When you took us out to the site, the first thing we did is we put helmets on, we got our high-vis jackets on, and you're talking about a still that is direct-fired. I can't think of many distilleries beyond Glenfarkless and Springbank has one of their stills direct-fired. Is there an extra step you've got to go through to, to get permission to direct-fire your stills, which is something... It has it yeah. has to it has to fulfil uh, health and safety requirements, yeah. etc. Yeah. The zoning round the still, yeah. Yeah. etc. Um, that's the sort of thing. But yeah. so uh, it's, there's no extra layer. It's 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 not an issue. You're just ticking boxes and making sure you're you do, yeah, safe. Your risk and, assessments, yeah, okay. etc. Of that, you're introducing a flame into a still house. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah. There was a lot of experience. The guys had a lot of experience of of that in the past, but it's this uh, cooking the 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 copper of the still, yeah. which is important. We think is important to reproduce that style that of what the buck would have produced, what the old guys would have produced. So, so with that in mind, in conjunction with the worm tub. So you, you, you said you, you had some back and forth on how to operate this. Can you go into what that back and forth was and, and where you finally fell with it? Or if you have finally fallen with it, obviously it's not installed yet. Uh, well, I always say it in my long experiences is some of all my mistakes. So I think, <laughs> I think I'm uh, picking up on that. The, the worm the is fascinating. I, yeah. uh, the, the industry didn't throw out all the worm tubs, and I I know because we did lots of experiments with mm-hmm. condensers and worms at certain mm-hmm. distilleries. But what you pick up from the... If I use one of the distilleries I worked at, the fruity floral style, yeah. the area was very short of water, so the, 
Warrams were probably run quite warm in the past. Ah. So when you run it warm, you're trying to recreate, so you give more copper contact, you use yeah. the warm water. Yep. So that it's that manipulation. I was up at Brora on a Institute of Brewing and Distilling tour to look at the new Brora. Okay. And you will see that Dajus put temperature probes at all heights of the Warram. So you know what they're up to there. Ah. You know that they are examining that. So... So that they can recreate the style of the old Brora, oh, okay. etc. Because that is one of the first things. You used to hear the old guys speak about winter and summer spirit, or winter or spring spirit, mm. because the temperatures are different. Mm. Yeah. So oh, okay. making a large volume single malt, it's all about consistency. And that was driven by the chief blenders, because they wanted to pick up that style of spirit yeah. and say... That's what that distillery is famed for, or what are they making this week? That was the no-no consistency. But the beauty of the last few years is that we're looking at all these idiosyncrasies of these different distilleries, you know. You'll hear stories about Mm. them not cleaning this, but cleaning that. Yeah, Yeah. of course. That's the the fun. But it was... What I spent a lot of my career is under trying to understand that yeah. to produce a consistent spirit. So, so where are you? Are you are you thinking colder water so that you're getting less copper contact, warmer water so you're getting more copper contact? We'll be looking at the style of spirit and then working it back as well. Okay, we, we okay. will go for okay. a sti- We will go for yeah. a temperature, yeah. and then we will wind uh, back. Okay, yeah. okay. The noses, the noses will do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so we're focused on on the buck still here, but this is only one portion of what's going on in the stillhouse. Uh, Jonathan, when we were up there in person, you, you talked us through the footprint. Would you do that for us again here for, yeah, for our course. listeners, please? Yeah, so the footprint, I mean, the, on, on the back, you know, there is a, a brilliant story there and there's going to be something interesting there, but it's probably a fraction of kind of the overall production that we have in mind for, for the distillery as a whole. Um, we'll have what you could describe as a, as a small but fairly standard wash still, two and a half thousand litres, uh, spirit still, 1800 litres, six wooden washbacks, uh, a half tonne mash, kind of supporting the majority of kind of cabaret production. And uh, and the hope is that kind of when all those things are working together, once we've commissioned the plants, we're producing maybe around about hundred thousand liters mm-hmm. of alcohol per year. Mm-hmm. So tiny in the in the in the grand scheme of things. And uh, uh, again, we've not kind of looked at the fine detail, but probably one of the smallest distilleries operating in Scotland. But that needs to deliver a, a couple of things for us. You know, it needs to deliver sufficient volume to deliver some of the commercial objectives which are central to our regeneration vision that the Cabaret Trust holds so dearly. But we also want to recognise that with such low volumes we can really speak intimately about ingredients and batches and Mm -hmm. bottlings and speak to a really engaged, interested, whiskey geekery audience who really want to know forensically all of these uh-huh. strands of detail and that kind of gets quite exciting as well you know beyond process you then get into the realms of maturation and and wood and taking 
sort of breadcrumbs from history and applying that into our maturation policies. You know, the stories of kind of Cabra whiskey going over the drove roads on pack horses in tiny little anchor casks, which mm. would probably be the equivalent of kind of octaves or quarter casks these days. Mm-hmm. What role does that have in our maturation policies? And then where does that sit in our tiny little Dunnage warehouse? These are all, again, just kind of fascinating <laughs> questions, but again, really impo- important points of interest. And then you're talking about some barley from on-site, but if you're working or you're running distillation 46 weeks a year, the field that we passed this morning might give you four weeks of production, but you were talking about potentially drawing from other farms in the Cabrick and then potentially beyond that as well. Could you speak to that? Yeah, definitely. So we're, we're really interested in the idea of kind of like full traceability. Again, is that is that one of your buzzwords? <laughs> um, the concept, I don't know, if it, would we call it traceability? There's, there's another word that in the Pro- whiskey world is somewhat contentious, though. I don't know. Add it to the list. Yeah, like, I, I, I traceability, list. yeah, I, okay. Okay, okay good. you've so, given yourself a new tick. So, 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 yeah, so we're, 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 we're really exercised by that, that idea, and we're kind of, we're, we're testing the ground as we speak. So, Inverhaddock Farm, in terms of recent history, you know, the last 50, 60, 70 years, heavily grazed mostly by sheep. Uh, So there hasn't been a crop regime here for a long time. Mm -hmm. And last year we planted a break crop. This year we planted what we hope is going to be our inaugural crop of malting barley, which is still in the field behind us. What's a break crop? So essentially, because the ground had been grazed for so long, we want um, to, to grass it would take a moment to kind of get the kind of the soil in a condition ready to receive a kind of a barley crop. Mm-hmm. So we actually put in neeps, t- um, turnips. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which serves to kind of break up the ground. Just for the sheep or were you making soup? <laughs> Just for the sheep. <laughs> it's a 50-50 wrestle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and again, once obviously the kind of like the turnips have come through, we can then put the sheep back in and they can kind of graze off the, the, the neeps across the mm-hmm. winter, but they're breaking up the soil. They're adding their own sort of contributions to mm-hmm. the soil at the same time. So when we came to, to plough it this spring, the ground's in far better condition. We've actually put some natural kind of energy into the soil mm. and we're getting it ready to receive that inaugural sowing of barley at Inverhaddock. And uh, the field's looking good. Um, we're probably, because we're higher, we're kind of behind where kind of, you know, Speyside Dufton is in terms of harvest. Mm. But we're hopefully harvesting that first crop of, of Inverhaddock barley in the next few weeks. And as you say, we'd we'd anticipate that supporting about a month's campaign of production next year. And that's as, probably as much barley as we can do uh, in Verhadic. And again, we're a small farm, but we're also a very hilly farm, as you've mm-hmm. seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea beyond that is, could we have a really interesting, intimate growers group of local farmers, of local growers mm-hmm. who are contributing, you know, a month's worth of barley for a specific campaign of production. Um, could we have the lower Cabrick co- contribution? What's coming from the upper Cabrick? What's coming from further down the Deverin Valley? Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're kind of in, in the middle of conversations about. Um, all these things are happening all at once. You know, the kind of the managing the build program, the, the doing the sort of the company startup, the identity, the story, the supply chain. So there's all these amazing live conversations all at once. The idea of having this really close knit growers group, which supports these unique campaigns across different seasons is a wonderful idea. And we kind of feel like we're on the edge of kind of delivering that with Inverhaddock leading the way. I'm guessing uh, Jess and Josh are going to have some more questions along that one. And I'm not going to step on any toes here, but 
I love what you're saying with break crop there. I, I love what you're saying about the soil. One of the things we've done in season seven is we've talked more agriculture and soil and protection and roots and and um, uh, fertilizing, yeah. right? And so you're saying the sheep are donating also. Um, just as a, as a slight aside, we were talking over coffee, you used a word and then you kind of walked away from it. So I'm not, not looking to hold you to it, but the idea of rewilding, you've talked about the trails. Can you talk a bit about how you see this land and this kind of return to something? You know, I don't want to say wild because there is a bit of farming going on here and there's a bit of distillation going on here. But how do you view the land and, and what do you want to achieve with the land across those 170 acres? Yeah, I think the word kind of harmony probably kind of stands out. We want to deliver the the combined project in harmony with the Cabrich landscape and in respect of everything that remains in the Cabrich. So farming and agriculture has been part of the Cabrich for, for centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not our kind of uh, mindset or our approach that we're going to just transfer Mimbrahatic Farm into this kind of forested wilderness with links scuttling around the hillside. Yeah. That's definitely not in our thinking. <laughs> so it's the, it's the balance of can, can we create this small distillery and visitor destination in the Cabrich, whilst honouring and respecting the agricultural roots of the area and maintaining a really close relationship with our farmer who's farmed the land in the Cabrich for five generations. Mm. But also, how do we recognise that some of this land is degraded, it's depleted? Um, it's a really important river catchment, the, the River Deverin. The River Deverin origins are in the Cabrich before flowing down through Bamshire to Macduff and Banff. But actually, it's uh, it's a river that is a prime uh, habitat for wild Atlantic salmon, which is, of course, kind of a, a, a key wow. species under significant pressure just now. Mm-hmm. So other things that we've been doing whilst readying the site and the farm for supporting a distillery has been how we look at the kind of the overall health of Inverharic and the, and the, and the, and the Cabrich. So mm-hmm. we have put in a, a series of nature trails, which is about community asset. So if you're wanting to come to the Cabaret and go for a lovely walk in a safe place where you can safely park and not worry about being chased off the land, uh-huh. you've got it here with our discovery trail. But we've also pulled fence lines back from uh, the river courses. So we no longer in a situation where sheep are poaching water from Brilliant. the riverbank, contributing towards riverbank erosion. We've introduced a program of planting. So we've so far put in 3,000 native broadleaf trees, which were planted by volunteers, uh, Last year, we put in 1,200 willow. We've kind of created some uh, wet habitats with two nature ponds. We've created wildlife med- uh, wildflower meadows. We've put in a nature hide on the banks of the Deverin as well, which delivers education. It delivers shelter when it rains. Um, <laughs> but equally, we've used that space as a really interesting kind of dramming room uh, when, <laughs> when, when, when needs be. So the kind of the, the, the delivering this project in harmony with the natural environment, recognizing our responsibility to making good decisions about input energy, mm-hmm. recycling, mm-hmm. cool product offtake, tree planting, water extraction is all part of the mix of making good decisions that make sure this is not just a history project here. This needs to work yeah. with the context of climate emergency firmly in mind as well. Well, and on the idea of of growing and soil and harmony, I really like the inclusion of that word. Um, Alan, you were talking about barley was grown in this area. Barley is grown in this area. Oats were grown in this area. One of the things we've talked about environmentally is rye, the value of rye. 
we didn't talk about it outside, but is is Rye in your lens and your in front of your? <laughs> he's rubbing his chin. <laughs> Should I say what I'm not allowed to say? <laughs> I, I, I I'm not sure if there was a lot of Rye growing up here. Uh-huh. Uh, it's more it's more down into the lower areas. Okay, and I've been fascinated okay. to see the return to Rye. Right. Uh, speaking to the guys that have used it mm-hmm. they're saying it was something we did speak about earlier that the modern varieties are different mm-hmm. because one of the gentlemen I spoke to says I looked at my grandfather father's records the rye wasn't a great yield in crop mm-hmm. but he found that with his modern knowledge that he could maximise that so it's fascinating to see because rye in America was always considered a a sort of poorer crop. Absolutely. You know, yeah, absolutely. but then everybody went for high yield and starch producing because we were distillers and we went yield, yield, yield. Mm-hmm. But yes, there's there's a look at that. Of course, we'd have to call it a grain whiskey up here, but it's something. Sure. You know. Sure. But malted rye, should, should it have a different connotation? Yeah. <laughs> you definitely listen and learn, though. You kind of look across to kind of Brewer Laddie as a great example, you know, and the network of farmers that they're working with over there mm. and recognising that the putting in rye as a break crop but actually using that to do a very limited production run and an associated release, it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So where we take huge sort of inspiration from the history and heritage of the Cabrich, I think we're right to kind of like look around and, mm. you know, we spoke about Rassi earlier on and Bruch Laddie and take learning from these incredible places that are doing things in a really interesting way as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was also thinking the practical terms that the distillers and certainly the brewers that I know when you talk about rye, they, they pull a side eye and they go, it's a bit of a nightmare. Stick in the mash yeah. Yeah. Pain, yeah. pain but, in the yeah. bum to but work you, with. <laughs> you, you learn about that. Yeah. I, I work for Seagram and, Seagram, when they had the Illinois plant, Lawrenceburg, Illinois, they developed so much into the rye, but they ended up coming to Europe for some of that rye. You know, they were looking for a style of rye. And then my uh, my long-term favourites, Kira, in Finland do 100% malted rye, and it's it's funny what a totally different product that is to in my head when you look at, like, American rye, if I'll sidetrack us for a second. Uh, So, yeah, the idea that maybe you could do, like, a carbrook and... Yeah. Uh, kind of inspired but you're right we would have to call it in Scotland it would it would have to just come as a, a green yeah that's something you, that which, might, might need looked at by the okay well you could you guys don't seem like you have enough to do so if you just <laughs> pop that on the list of, uh, just get some legal definitions of whiskey changed we'll, whilst we'll you're get, busy we'll get that one up in the whiteboard <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the top of the list easy peasy oh, that'll be a quick fix so uh, yeah. <laughs> but you uh, your evidence you go round about uh, Speyside you see the word dry appear in farm names so it mm. was more Maybe prominent it was there, here yeah. Yeah. there's the evidence again you know? yeah definitely it's uh, I guess maybe as well as whiskey drinkers as we're becoming much more conscious about what you are uh, it's not just going to the shop picking up the thing that you know your dad or your I don't know, I guess maybe in the future I'll be able to say my auntie used to drink, you know, mm-hmm. and people yeah. have much more interest. So something like what's happening here is so mm-hmm. important because you can come and see it happening. It's it's a, a touchable, tangible uh, thing to get involved in. So it's not just a, a liquid that goes in a glass. So maybe mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. you know, you could add that into the story. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you're saying that about what, what your father, what your grandfather drank. 
father drunk blended whiskey. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, I would, when malt started, oh, I suppose malt whiskey, we always knew where it came from. It came from the distillery. I was brought up that the distilleries were branded in the sense that I come through Craigellich, it's now John Dewar. That used to be White yeah. Horse. Yeah. You know, yeah. you come up, Queen Anne used to be Ben Reich, but now it's... Yeah. I don't know where where Queen Anne is just now. I think it still sits with Seagram. But, you know, you had identity to the, the distillery. But then the single malt came. I started in a distillery that was selling a little bit more each year, a single malt. Mm-hmm. Though it was providing the malt whiskey for blending. I thought that uh, Johnny Walker was all made at Dilute. Right, and if but you that, ask people that, where I live, they'll tell you. Yeah, because they're so attached to Kilmarnock. That guys would have been drinking Johnny Walker. Yeah. 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 We were talking about that actually as we drove up the road uh, a couple of days ago. We were passing through Perthshire and obviously you pass Aberfeldy, and it yeah. isn't labelled as Aberfeldy, it's John Joe's World of Whiskey. Yes. Yeah. And then to the whiskey nerds, they add in brackets at the end Aberfeldy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A few years back, uh, Jason and I were talking with John McClellan, uh, formerly of Kilhome and sadly passed now. Almost six years now, I think. Yeah. Um, but when he when he joined Kilhoman, he came from Boonhaven, and for him, it it was it was easy, right? It was Kilhoman was about a tenth the size of what he had been working mm. on with with Boonhaven. Are you taking that same approach, having yeah. cut your teeth in Glen Farkless, and then yeah. you know, of course, Glen Livet, Your name is is synonymous with like you know. Yeah. How much of that are you bringing I used here? To, we we used to say that the smallest distillery had the biggest problems, but, <laughs> but that that. That's just, you know, as an aside. But what it is, even when you've got a small distillery, you have to apply everything that a big distillery applies. Though in a bigger company, the roles will get split up. The smaller operation. uh, I know that the team that uh, will be recruited for here, they will have to be able to do everything, understand everything, Mm -hmm. understand the maturation as well. You're going into it in the bigger company, the chief blender will have a big say in what you're doing. Uh, so it's very satisfying working. Yeah. And I've worked in both scales, as you've said. Yeah. And I, I think that. But the distillery has to apply the same uh, microbiology. It's all that has to fit into place yeah. as well. Yeah. But we're, we've been speaking about the trust and that. The team that's built up around that supports the distillery advisors, a lot of knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. And the blend in there is quite amazing. So we're, we're calling a lot of experts as well. Uh, and I think most of the board have worked in different parts of the whiskey industry. So it's fascinating. Yeah, I, was, I wonder if you could talk about the, the people involved and in, in where they came from, because I think there's some significant names uh, behind this <laughs> besides yourselves. Yeah, so, I mean, I kind of forever feel incredibly fortunate with the, 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 the arms that are wrapped around this project with me because I don't know whether you've picked up or not, but like I don't come from the world of whiskey. You know, I've <laughs> spent a career and a life in not-for-profit, in the charitable sector, um, working with communities, working with young people and all those things. So actually immersing mm. myself in this project has been incredible learning, um, massively supported by the non-executive board of directors, um, the distillery advisory group, 
the wider industry, which recognise that we're doing something not in competition to them, but something which is part of their story as well in terms of the origins of malt whisky. And there is amazing people. Alan, of course, master of malt for, 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 the, for the board. We've got Grant Gordon, who's our founder and chair at the Cabaret Trust and also a non-exec for the Cabaret Distillery. And he's part of the the senior family at William Grant and Sons, our chairman for the distillery, Glenn Gribben, uh, chief executive at Bladenich, previously um, head of global marketing for the Macallan. So from a commercial point of view, I don't think we could find anyone any better. <laughs> and, uh, and he's such a joy and a knowledge to work with. Uh, Laura Anderson, uh, a lifetime within the spirits industry, real financial acumen. So we've kind of got a really good board uh, sitting behind the distillery. But as I said, you know, the wider support of the industry from senior uh, process engineers to the expertise that Forsyths have down in Rothis um, has been unbelievable and has challenged us. They've been critical friends. They've been supporters. Really, really fortunate. Yeah, it's, it just when you're, you're talking about the people involved in it, it's um, it's funny if as something that's kind of maybe locally very big and like you're saying, you've talked about uh, the trust when it was formed for the first few years, maybe it wasn't progressing at the speed at which you're moving now. It's it's funny hearing it as someone who lives a little bit further down the country, uh, not quite as far away as these two, but maybe not having heard so much. And when I did started looking into what was happening here, there's so much, It's like I said, it's not just the distillery, but it's really exciting to hear that it feels like all the right people with the right uh, names and dynasties that are involved in this. I, I really, I think it's going to be an exciting project to continue following. Uh, but also, I would be slightly intimidated if I decided I was going to be <laughs> applying here for a job. Look at what you look at the ranks you're coming to be a, a member. Of. After a while, you'll know that would it's the same old stories that we come out with. You know, well, here's Alan with his old stories again. Yeah. I've always, I've always been fascinated, and I've joked for a long time about I would love to go around like we're doing here just sitting and having conversations with about people who have lived in these hills and really experienced life in and out of the industry and the way it's very hard to be in Speyside and not you know even if you're just driving around you're passing distilleries you're passing fields of barley it's very hard to escape what the industry is connected and so deeply rooted here I've always wanted to sit in like the Fiddich side in and just <laughs> sit with a microphone and sidle up to some of these old boys and get them to tell me stories but I feel like the mics would have to be off uh, because people are still you know there's generations working in distilleries and some of the the cheeky monkey stories I love to hear maybe are not ready to be released on wax for several decades I recognize that, yeah. uh, that it's not hard to trace people back through but some of the stories and the the seams of history that are up here are just endlessly fascinating to me and I love that you guys are kind of bringing that to life and, uh, that's interesting you say that because my friend Colin who just lives down the road here uh, Colin Colin was an architect abroad but he, his great grandfather was Peter McKenzie, the manager at Glenlivet Distillery. Uh -huh. And further back, he was the McKenzie's. It was caught illicit distilling up at Glenlivet. And Colin has a great fascination. And we started looking for illicit stills. And then folk would say, where were you walking? Oh, was up in the Cabrick looking for the illicit stills. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we even had that because I was a day shiner, a 
distiller. <laughs> Father was a policeman. There was another person who you would tell any stories about illicit distiller. Yeah. But it's amazing how the stories have came out. And that's the beauty of the Carbrick lives. They're capturing that. Mm-hmm. And they're beginning to open up now, you know, maybe there's not as much illicit distiller. <laughs> no, no comment, yeah. no comment. Yeah. The whole big sizeman doesn't visit my shed, you know. But, uh, but no, that, it was funny how that stories were kept. It, it's, it's in the... It's in the oral tradition. It's not written down. And that's yeah. so annoying that nobody wrote down. My great-grandfather didn't write down, oh, I did a bit of listen to still. Of course not. Or that <laughs> field or that yeah. thing. So the stories I've got. But the Carbrick, it seems to be quite living. And it seems to have been passed down quite a bit that where it was uh-huh. up at uh, Alduni. Uh, Alduni up in the Carbrick the newspaper, he says, I could see 14 illicit stills from my house. And we thought, we'd found this, and we thought, we were told there was nothing. And you know, this would be beginning to pick them up yeah. and find their locations. There's not something, there's good distilling sites, but then you find this walled feature in the landscape. Mm-hmm. So that fascinates me. But that's that yeah. story. Yeah, once the microphone's off, I'll tell you all my notice <laughs> stories. Sorry, sorry guys, all the good stuff didn't make the cut. I, as well, for me, it's not just the um, the stories, it's the actual, like you're saying, it's orally, it's passed down, it's not by writing. For me, it's the actual voices. So sometimes that's problematic because in an audio format, some, some of the accents up here, if you're not used to them, would probably need subtitles. Uh, as somebody who spent a large chunk of their childhood here despite the fact my accent doesn't match it I can follow Doric pretty well uh, and I, I love hearing these stories, I know Balvenie did do a project, Gemma was working on it for a while like the actual, not just the stories but it's the voices telling these mm-hmm. stories so mm-hmm. I, I love and I miss because Glasgow is a totally different set of accents and different dialects but there's something about up here I, it's so much part of my childhood that listening to not only the stories which are hilarious and can't go on the podcast uh, but it's the actual voices telling them to me that just that's one of the things that continually draws me back to whiskey it's all about stories and sharing experiences sitting around like we are now with a dram not with a dram uh, and I think Spaceside to me is particularly special because it's it's so rich in it so yeah that's maybe one day I'll get my I don't know I'll just have to start hanging around in bars out here I hope that, <laughs> I hope that twist to, your arm people look at me and they're like she's really weird she's just <laughs> listening to us at the next table but I think um, to the very point you're making Jess is as we're sitting here with, with Jonathan and Alan you're both talking in ways where that next farm means something it's, mm. it's people who live there over that hill there's other farms and, and that's people over there and, and coming to the Cabrach and sitting here today, I feel like it's alive listening to you, talking to you. And I hope the people listening to this podcast, those who are into whiskey, will have that opportunity to come here and see this being alive and yeah. real and filled with humans. Like that's, I'm starting to get excited and and I, I hope other people get that experience uh, coming out here as well yeah. I think that's what uh, Dave Broom picked up with his mm. two books the, the, the Japanese one and the yeah, and Spirit s- of Place yeah. uh, Sense of Place yeah that there is a bit more to it than the, the actual building mm-hmm. There's, yeah. there is that part of it and also as a distiller and being local, 
we picture a, I often picture a distillery with the folk at work at it yeah. or the folk that's involved in it and that's how I see a distillery but then you can see the historic parts of it you know yeah. and we we'll always look look to see who we're all related to you know mm-hmm. we're no different <laughs> from Kentucky yeah. <laughs> different accents same time yeah. but I think that's a really important point about how people will potentially begin to engage with the Cabrick and identify it as a place that they're interested in or they want to visit or they want to kind of have some kind of connection with and we certainly see the, the, the distillery you know, being part of it, but not the be-all and end-all. Because mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. I think you, you, you can't really understand the loss that's been experienced by the community unless you go and stand at the War Memorial mm-hmm. in the Lower Cabrick yeah. or go mm-hmm. up to the Upper Cabrick Church and stand at the graveside and see kind of generations of Sheeds and Gordons and McBains who have called this place home. Um, read the sign that recognises the Cabrick as one of the largest War, uh, war Memorials in the world in terms of per capita loss. Wow. See those buildings we spoke about earlier, mm-hmm. this kind of derelict, lonely gable ends in a barren strip of land, you know, the kind of like the sense that you get from actually visiting the Cabrach distillery, but setting out on foot or taking a drive around the upper Cabrach, you know, just mm-hmm. gives you a real kind of feeling for the place with, you know, that buck hill, that landmark hill kind of standing proud from pretty much anywhere you can see. Mm-hmm. As I say, maybe this is the start of. You'd, it's funny how we're talking in kind of almost two like emotions to it. I think you're talking about the loss and the especially the impact that the war had, and then what's happening here is almost. I feel like you're sort of trying to convey a joy being breathed back into the environment, and so that eventually, when we're, I don't know, some numbers of years down the line, and we've got more buildings established and there are things happening, this idea of like life and joy coming back to the area, and maybe people being drawn into that to start that building even more I think you're right when you drive around places and uh, it's the same I grew up in the Dales like you see these buildings that just kind of crumble away to nothing it's, it's quite I've always felt they're sort of quite sad looking like, like very artistic very you know great yeah. for an Instagram picture <laughs> sort of like ramshackledy uh, shepherd's hut which has just fallen away into the hill but you, you, I guess when you actually start thinking about like why that it's not because we decided to move into prefabs in the city centre there's a, there's a drive that has pushed people into that so yeah the idea that we're kind of restoring and bringing colour back to a, an area which is ridiculously beautiful. Like, the whole of the Cabrach is just a series of postcards. Uh, this is what I tell people Scotland looks like 100% of the time. Uh, yeah, the idea that we could maybe get people to come and experience it for themselves is certainly a, an exciting future. For but the there area. is. I mean, like, that idea of renaissance is, is amazing, and the distillery will do part of that. But, you know, last July, we kind of... We had our Cabrach picnic and games... Uh, Highland Games, which was used to be, you know, 87 years ago, the highlight of the sporting and community calendar, mm-hmm. and it stopped, mm-hmm. you know, disappeared. And then the idea of, well, why? Why can't we put it back on? Let's see if people will come. It'll be low key, maybe 50 folk will turn out, and 250 came. That's amazing. And we had to cater for them. Uh, <laughs> and then this year we thought, you know, well, we've, we've taken it back after 87 years. Why not restore it as part of that annual calendar? So we scaled up a little bit we created a bit more space and we had over 500 people come this year as well so again in terms of kind of this the the idea that this decline the depopulation is inevitable it needs challenged and it needs challenged in various ways that all connect together so whether it's whiskey or whether it's the highland games or whether it's tree planting or whether it's education with school groups who come up here 
fall into the river, do everything they shouldn't do, but have a real experience. <laughs> it's all those things combined that contribute to that sort of rejuvenation and renaissance of a place. Yeah. That's, wow. that's a really cool thing to be part of. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I had a question before, but I think you've answered it. <laughs> and, and the question was simply, do, do, you, do you feel the, the weight upon you as, as you're bringing all of this back here? Repeopling it, as you said, and, and it's clear you can hear it in the passion in your voice, right? Bringing Highland Games back, right? Bringing distilling back, bringing people back here. It's it's it seems very very special and very personal to to you both, and I'm sure to your whole team. Yeah, with, with, without question, you know, there's it's, from my point of view, it's more than a job. Yeah, but in yeah. equal measure, you know, people volunteers yeah, like yeah. like Alan, like our trustees, our, our non-executive board, mm-hmm. you know, giving up so much of their own time, their expertise, their yeah. talent, all because of the social purpose that sits around this project. That's a, that's utterly humbling. Um, not without sleepless nights, for sure. <laughs> uh, budget, budget lines are the same, whether yeah. social purpose or not. Yeah. Um, but all absolutely worthwhile. Yeah. And yeah, kind of, as we said, at times hard work, but also kind of quite poetic. Yeah. Fantastic. So, uh, listen, we're, we're right about our, our, our spot here, but I wonder if you could quickly just share with our, our listeners, uh, our readers, listeners, the transcript, the transcript is coming. Yes. On PDF. Um, just share with them, you know, your, your general understanding of when you think liquid may be flowing from your stills, when you might be able to receive visitors and uh, websites, anything that you want to share with them so they can invest some of their own time in what you're doing. Great. You want to go first? Yeah. Well, the website has to be changed. It's, it's 2024. We hope to start uh, production. But yeah, we hope to start early next year. As, as we've said, the equipment's ready. Yeah. The building, once the, the roofs are on, we will, I'm sure that we'll move at quite a pace then. Mm-hmm. And hopefully... Uh, harvested the grain, malted the grain, and be ready for the spring. And then, yeah, so we've got various kind of um, warm up projects before we're actually distilling, which are an important part of viability from mm-hmm. a business point of view, but also community building for this new distillery as well. So we are going to have our what we're calling our Cabra Collective, mm-hmm. which will be our very small founders club, people who are kind of really buying into the story, the concept, the idea, the social purpose really yeah. early. Um, by becoming a member of our collective, you'll lock in one of those first bottles of Cabra Single Malt. Oh, nice. um, you'll get special news, you'll get special access. But we're also doing something else quite interesting on your liquid question, which again, I suppose, embodies the support that we're experiencing from the wider Speyside distillery industry. So we're doing a, a very limited edition blended single malt scotch ah, okay. across three editions yep. uh, born of cask donations from the distilleries that sit around the Cabaret. Yeah. We've yeah. got a beautiful identity and mm-hmm. name and story which sits yeah. around this, which uh, 
you'll hear about soon. Um, I, I was excited. Yeah. That's, that was halfway to being a very exclusive. We also could have had, uh, I suppose, whiskey that we would recognise you'd rarely find in a bottle together. Yeah. Will be in a bottle together. And, and as you might imagine, the kind of the marrying, the vatting process will be watched over closely by Alan Winchester, who will put his name to, to every bottle as well. So we've got this three editions of this blended Speyside single malt, yeah. which will be available for our Cabra Collective members, but it will also be available for sale, but as a way of paying homage to what we're trying to do here. Sure. Liquid before we've got Cabra single malt um, to enjoy. And as I said, it's a really good example of how the Speyside industry recognises what we're trying to do here yeah. and is yeah. very tangibly supporting Comes it. together. That's great. It's great for Speyside. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it, that really identifies the Speyside sort of spirit and also the companies have generously donated to us. So, yeah. So well, that's, that's pressure, putting that together. <laughs> <laughs> Still is easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can people get information on the collective? Because it, it sounds like something that we hear across the table from you certainly want to be a part of. Uh, I'm sure our listeners do too. No, brilliant. So we're kind of right in the final throes of um, web design for the Cabaret facility. We obviously have a website for the Cabaret Trust, but that's a very different organisation from the from the Cabaret facility once we get it up and running. So the Cabaret facility will have its own website, will have its own brand and identity, brilliant. which again, you know, we've worked really closely as a group together to make sure it's right in terms of tone of voice, mm -hmm. story, look and feel. So website going live uh, in the autumn with the launch of our Cabaret Collective at the same time as well. And then our limited edition Speyside Malt concept coming out in the, in the new year okay. with a view to then first distillation May, June time next year. And then we're on that road to kind of restoring real Cabaret whiskey. Uh, in the years to follow. Excellent. Excellent. So you're saying autumn as in this one that we're right on the doorstep yes. of so we can start following you as soon as possible. 100%, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for your gracious time today and for hosting us here and welcoming us with a cup of coffee. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Might have a whiskey the next day. <laughs> well, next time. Next time. I knew you were driving. <laughs> Right, we definitely we'll be back. We'll be back. <laughs> yeah, it's the pleasure seeing you all here coming to see us in the car break. Amazing. It, it gives you the feeling of it, which is Absolutely. great. Hopefully, we can convey that to you. Enjoy the rest of your trip in space, eh? Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. I look forward to hearing about the rest of your trip <laughs> in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was a really excellent time spent with Alan Winchester, Jonathan Christie, the Cabrach, the, the whole experience there. We learned a ton. Yeah. Project to follow going forward. Mm -hmm. Are you sure Cabrach? Cabruch? Cadenheads? It's it's all Hebrew. It all it's all Hebrew to me. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> So, so listen, uh, we don't, well, we do have emails to read, but we have some really important news 
that I wanted to uh, to bring out to our listeners. I'm going to be honest, Joshua. I did not bring my PDFs to Elgin, and so I do not have emails to read. Disaster. Jess, did you bring your portable data? I've files, actually. Formats? They were supposed to be overnight FedEx expressed. Oh. But due to Brexit. Oh. Gosh. They are lost somewhere. Wow. In the chain. Man, oh man, a Shevitz. Well, I'll tell you what, since you're here, why don't you wake up the paper boy and we'll talk ROW5? Is there a traditional way to wake up the paper boy? Do I jab him in the eye? Do I. That, you know, just give him a little shake? Like, hey, buddy, could you. I just sweep the leg, usually. Set fire to his toes. <laughs> God! Does, wait, first of all, <laughs> you sweep it in fire to his toes. So you just warm them with a match. Your poor boys. How are you raising these Your kids? kids. Hey, I'm they concerned. never miss the school bus, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I'm concerned that Josh has got him sleeping upright in a house somewhere to sweep his leg. If you're lying down, that doesn't work, right? Sweep the leg! Sweep the leg! Right. Um, okay, hello, paperboy. Please wake up. Okay, well, now he's fully awake. We are fully awake. Holy moly. Oh, boy. Uh, what a pitch. Look, that's just how we do it here in Elgin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm assuming that you you said we have important news. I'm going to assume this is ROW5. Absolutely. Can this we is... just, yes, pause really quickly right there. This is our fifth yeah. release for ROW, the rest of the world. The rest that's, of the world. That's a lot. That's, that's very fun. cool. Yeah. Right? That is fun. We are. We're, we're doing it. We're moving ahead. Doing it live. I love it. Yeah. So, sorry. Please, even, keep, even please with continue. Even uh, global logistics exact. situation. Demundo. We're doing it anyway. We're doing it so anyway. That's just how we it rock. Just yeah. feels feels pretty great. So, thank you, Jess, oh, for so all excited. you did. I, I do find ROWs a little bit like buses, where we're about to have two this year. <laughs> and people waited all of 22. There's that number again. To get to 23. Now we got two and 23. So, boom. I'm going to say it's, that's how you drive people's interest, Jason. That's how we drive the peak, the interest. Like, oh, another little release coming. Cheeky, cheeky. Do you know what I'm going to say right now? Mm-hmm. This is how we do it. In yeah. 2024, oh. we're going to do three ROW releases. I've said it. I've said it. All it's right. on wax. I'm okay. very glad that I am sat down at this moment in time. Yeah. I just love how much... Jason has had to drink. Anyway, so Jess, why don't you go on with... I'd like to say that up until very shortly ago, Jason was the only one who'd had nothing to drink. Very shortly ago? Yeah. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> I'm sorry, Jess. Very shortly ago. The man who just spat on himself... I know, I did it. Now really second time. taking the high ground here. Right. Whole so. chunk of glass houses happening over here. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so I have uh, some exciting news. That's why the paper boy's awake. That's, Absolutely. We have some things yeah. that are coming to a market shop near you. We know it's not going to our friends in America. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I see your face. Where? Where are we offering it to? Uh, so we will be offering to, obviously, some uh, lovely... Uh, countries that have taken us before so um, our friends obviously I have been talking about Tel Aviv so obviously they'll be indeed uh, Israel's on the list uh, Germany Japan this is not alphabetical uh, <laughs> our Canadian friends who are nearly 
the borders of the country who are not getting there this offer to them. Super close, but Sorry. not all the way. And um, of course, a good chunk of retailers in the UK who have supported us. There'll be a list going out. And if you run our whiskey shop in Fiji and you want to talk to me, then you know where to find me. Well, there you go. Or yeah. that kind of thing. So yes, there'll be <laughs> lots of offers being made and hopefully when we are about to go through, what's on offer? Lots of people coming in being like, yes, this give is me it. these whiskeys yeah. this is and it. things. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I'll start with our every ROW format we've done. So far we've had a, a not whiskey. Mm. Or several not whiskies. Okay. So I'm going to start with our not whiskey. Uh, and so we have a rum, a 12-year-old Epri Brazilian rum, right. which is delicious. That's become a, an in-house favorite. Yeah, we, we brought an Epri yeah. to the U.S. for yeah. retail. Yep. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, you, you are did. 100% correct. So yeah. uh, This one is slightly different. The Epri that went to the U.S. was quite piney. Mm-hmm. I seem to remember yeah. when we sat down and wrote some t- tasting notes, we felt like it was very seasonally appropriate. Yeah, the idea sort of, of a, Christmas a piney or something. A Christmas yeah. rum. Yeah. <laughs> I have or, Christmas. Or, 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 or from my fellow Jewish friends, your neighbors who celebrate Christmas reads. <laughs> um, but this one, I feel like it was much more tropically fruity. We talked a lot about bananas. I seem um, to remember lots of different types of bananas um, and uh, tropical notes. So, yes, again, we're maybe a little bit early for the idea of a end-of-the-year seasonal yeah. rum. But, yeah, so there's an Apri 12-year-old. these things go on boats. Yes, well, that's true. Global logistics situation. Global logistics. Okay, continuing with our maybe not... Not strictly whiskey, whiskey. No, it's a not single malt whiskey. We have a 26-year-old Invergordon, mm-hmm. which okay. we got. It's in a refill cask, and everybody who has previously purchased from Single Cask Nation or has followed us for a while knows how much we love an Invergordon. Absolutely. Right. Yep. And I have not broken the formula here, I think. Delicious Invergordon. Tick. Some yep. vanilla ice cream notes. Yeah, um, I feel like it was lots of that kind of vanilla sugary. When we wrote those notes, we were right. in a confectionery heaven setup, so that's going to be good. Lovely. And then I guess we should also talk about our uh, Dal Yuan. Hey, we have talked hey, about Dal Yuan hey, earlier. <laughs> Opened it. So we've got Back a slightly. Up. This is a different style to the two that I was palming in Newcastle, though. Fans of the people who fans of <laughs> whiskies with colours attached to it. We'll be delighted to drink this Dalyuan. Oh, this is... This is our sherry cask. Yeah, this is refill bourbon into first fill sherry? Yeah. Unclear. 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 Sherry for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, you you only need to look at it. There's no no hiding from that. (laughs) Uh, I would like to point out here that when we were discussing colour, this is one of my favourite colour notes. We've gone for sanguine copper. That's it. Oh, that's a Jason. That is. That's a, you like the sanguine. That's it. I don't know what Dulux color chart you got that from. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's going to be Dal Yuan. Uh, and then I'm really like ramping up the tension here. Boom. Uh, Boom. We've got our very first single cask nation, Ardna Merkin. Hey. I love that. I love that. It's We talk about this all the time, uh, the spirit of collaboration. Absolutely. Right? And Absolutely. this is a new distillery for us to be collaborating with. Mm-hmm. And one that I have, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast, uh, they have easily made it into my top five distilleries, mm. period. I just, huh. their make is fantastic. I am a big fan. And I also like the crew. They're a great bunch. So yeah, I'm really honored being to be invited up to Ardnamurkin earlier in the year to pick some little casky casks was a great privilege. Yep. Wonderful. Uh, and yet again, as an example of me finding a way of making whiskey an excuse to eat 
food. So I really was only going to Ardnamurkin to get my food provided by Graham, uh, who some of you may know on the old Instas as Yadar Sells Whiskey, uh-huh. whose yep. Insta game for food is unreal. What's uh, the name? Yadar Sells Whiskey. Yadar, oh, so short for dad. Yadar yeah, like, Sells Whiskey? Instead of Avon, right? Like that uh, insult. Yeah, instead of Avon. This is a very Scottish insult. Don't go blank on me. What's a Scottish insult? It's like a way of, you know, perhaps being unkind to somebody's parents saying, well, your dad sells Avon. <laughs> gosh, listeners and readers of the podcast, there was jet lag occurring there. Oh, my gosh. I've never heard that in my life. What? There's so many, for all our readers, there's so many typos in that. Um, uh, so, yes, that but Ardmerkin. Yeah, uh, Graham's food is amazing. Um, so we were let loose in the warehouse, which is a great dangerous spot to play. Terrific. Uh, we had a little scramble through some casks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think whilst we're doing exclusives, I think I'll just pop in here that not one cask was chosen. Yeah. Two. Oh, uh, two right. were chosen. Right. I was going right. to right. sneak in right. afterwards. And I'm just going to leave that there. Okay. The number of times Jess says to us, I only heard about it on the podcast. Thanks for telling me, chaps. And now today you have, you've delivered unto our listener base slash readership. I haven't really... Here's a little something <laughs> sneaky up a little our something, something. Yeah. I'm not really taking revenge as I'm, ha- I'm telling these things whilst you two are looking me in the eyeballs. It's <laughs> not are. a, yeah. it's not, it's not quite yeah. a true revenge. Wait a second, there's an Ardnamarkin for America? You put a little more whiskey in my oh, in my glass, Jason. Um, so listen, can you? Wait. I, fe- I feel as if we're getting caught up here. So can you just repeat the first three that you said? And so then, we, we've yeah. got an approved twelve-year-old. Yeah. We've got an Invergordon twenty-six-year-old. Good, good, good. Uh, we've got a Dal Ewan, which I think is thirteen years old. Yes, thirteen years old. Oh, the Sherry's one. Yeah. The Sherry Dal Ewan. Uh, our Ardnamurkin will be six years old. Uh, would you like to know what that's in? Yes, yes. Was. That is a little <laughs> bourbon barrel number, Love and it you. is delish. That one was dreamy. It was so dreamy. Yeah. So here's, really here's, unpeated. Here's, here's yep. my little pinpoint. Yeah, unpeated. Here's my little pinpoint here. One of the questions I have been asked recently: How is it decided who gets what casks? And I said, if it's a cask from the UK, I just say it's mine. <laughs> that's true. That's actually what happened. Here. And that's what happened here. Yeah. I sent you yeah. some samples, and I said you can try this, but I'm having it. Hmm? So, and you're too kind to argue with me. So you were the one scrambling well, over the cast. Hey, you get first dibs. In 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 the end, we're gonna get a sherried one for the U.S. So I'm okay with that. I was, and is that peated in sherry? It's in sherry. Hey, I see what you did there. <laughs> I I was just gonna leave it as a little kind of hovery point. Well, okay. I'm feeling generous. Anyway, so continue. You've got one more. So the one more uh, release, which is going to be an RW five, five for five. Five for five. Everybody knows I'm very excited about this <laughs> and simultaneously very stressed about this at the time of recording. Junior Lamaze. Oh, God. See, the guys outside who are roaring past our windows also very excited about this. Uh, so, for the first time coming to the UK and other ROW establishments, but it will be in the UK physically to be dispatched worldwide. How many cases are you keeping in the UK? Shh, it's a very empty, very empty cask. <laughs> guys, I don't know how to tell you this. I've got a Westland. <laughs> Uh, and not just any Westland. No, Let's talk any about Westland. this gas. You Let's talk about beaming. this spirit. Beaming. It's like, like my baby's coming. It absolutely literally glowing. looks like that. Um, uh, that's, that's just the lights. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the amount of iron brew I've consumed, consumed today. So um, our Westland, I'm very excited for many thousands of reasons. First of all, uh, I'm excited because it's a Westland with an age on it, which we don't see much of. Mm. So this will be a nine-year-old by the time it hits some 
beautiful new glassware. Uh, and this is a Westland that has had... Um, I never know whether to say finish maturation, second maturation. It's had a decent amount of I time. Think second maturation is perfectly second maturation fair. How long? Yeah, perfectly fair. Yeah. It's had a long old break in a Banyuls cask. Banyuls, right? Banyuls, a f- fortified French wine. For those who don't know, the right. annual Banyuls manual. Annual Banyuls manual. Anyone remembers right. the April Fool's episode? There you go. Little shout out to Matt Hoffman and Steve Holly on that one. Absolutely. Gosh, the whole team, Anna. The whole team. No, you, Anna, you're right. But I Anna, Anna Hens, Jason. It's Anna Hens. Anna, okay. But the reason why I say that is back <laughs> to our, our Westland April Fools. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. Annual, annual, annual. Annual, annual, annual. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, can, selected by Daniel. Continue on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I feel like in the UK, especially, Daniels is kind of you're starting to see it on some labels. There's not a huge amount of whiskies, I think, that are in the old Banyuls cask. Uh, and so the first time I came across a Banyuls was a Teeling Irish whiskey in yes. a Banyuls. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. There are, I think, one or two Benahavans in Banyuls. Okay. Uh, and I suspect there's probably loads that people are now like, oh, it's in. Uh, uh, so there's a few that I've tried. Um, I think I will also be checking out some Banyuls wine to just Absolutely, have a little look. Yeah. Yeah. From the Cask of Westland, I am very pleased to say, though, as ever, it's a great balance for me it's still got bags of westland happening in there so it's not all cask um which i talk about quite a lot when i when we're talking about picking casks i always look for something that does a full circle like if it's in an interesting cask obviously Mm -hmm. you want an influence of that in there but i don't want it to override the whiskey absolutely so absolutely i'd be very sad if i thought the westland had just been washed away yeah Uh, but it has not it is delicious and it's nine which is pretty cool i remember that having a little bit of cardamom kind of presence yeah. a little yeah. bit of yeah. cinnamon bun it was going it had on. like exotic notes right? exotic spicy kind of actually a lot of it. swedish flavors that was funny mm. enough i don't know if we were just on one when we wrote these <laughs> <Tasting> <laughs> notes. wait i have to look at my notes here because i think this is possibly the wankiest color i've ever come up with i think i was inspired by your this is you copper <laughs> This is me. I have no one to blame except myself. The colour I have ochre. described... Is it burnt ochre? Is Iron Brew Dyed Koi Cup. Hell yes. Wait, Iron Brew what? Dyed Koi Cup. Koi Cup? I don't you know, like Koi Cup. You know the that, like, orange the kind big of Japanese fish? fish that are in Koi oh, Ponds? Koi, koi... Well, so in the US, we just call them Koi Fish, not Koi Cod. No. Carp. Carp. Koi carp. Yeah. Oh, koi carp. Koi cod. You cannot koi get carp. a fish and koi chip koi shop in Elgin. Say, say that three times real you fast. You cannot get koi nope. cod. <laughs> do not go asking for a koi cod supper in Elgin. It will not work. I would pay you to do it, though, just to watch from outside the window. <laughs> so, okay. Oh, I, I, I like that note. That's very... I like that too. note, but color. That's very so cool. So we, we definitely chewed over this nose for ages. This has got a great nose on it. Yeah. I could smell it forever. Uh, so I will share you a few of the little notes, the working, the inner working of our mind as we yeah. were writing these notes. So we have attention grabbing and bold nose with a fresh lumber yard, which is also milling aromatic spices. That Thank was, That was 100% you. Yep. If you charge the senses from within the glass, but hang around, there's a freshly ground coffee to be found as well at this very strange lumber yard. It's becoming very wow, Swedish. This is, this, but it's it's clear that's Jess's writing. Uh-huh. I love this. Uh-huh. <laughs> Should we shift to the palette? Please. Oh, please. Because I know how much I love listening to you two. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Look how much time you just spent on the colour of a whiskey that's not even in front of us. I know, right? Uh, but it's a good colour. Everybody who's listening to this instantly knows what colour I'm talking about. 
Yeah. Because they've all seen Iron Brew Dyed Koi Cup. <laughs> uh, for our palette, we've got the aromatic spice deepens with the addition of, oh yeah, I remember this, bitter chocolate and rich, unctuous black forest cherries. Now, Ooh. I feel like you and I went backwards and forwards about cherries for a while. for a long time. Oh my gosh. Make no mistake, though, this is not a cakey sweet dram. No. Nope. There is a delightful oakiness and classic Western signature running through it to keep you from a chocolate overload. Mm. I'm so thirsty. Finish. <laughs> Chocolate Overload is actually my new Instagram name. <laughs> Which You're is why you're back on Instagram. Hey, hey, that's, hey. The takeaway. <laughs> that's, that's his TikTok channel. <laughs> so we've got here, and I, you laughed at me when I wrote this: a rich and intense dram, which has a pleasing and drying cocoa-packed finish. You'll be reaching for another. <laughs> Listeners, this yeah, just never written that in a finish ever. There's just one exclamation mark. <laughs> Can you tried to though. You tried to. And just to be clear, and then I panicked and deleted it. Is it U L S and Y U L E? You're back to your neighbor's Christmas again. Yeah, back to the neighbor's Christmas wreaths. No, um, but we'll edit that so it is. <laughs> Can you do me a favor? Yeah, because I mean, clearly, I'm excited about all of these whiskeys, yes. but we've got. We've got two uh, two partners that we're collaborating yeah. with, so I th- I want I want to I want to give we, the Arden American so get some Arden American oh, taste because yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I just this one was so I mean it's Arden American right but right. yeah just let's and hear I was these really notes. excited yeah. so excited yeah. to be allowed into the warehouses to pick casks they don't sell to just everybody no. just like Westland doesn't just like Wild Turkey yeah. doesn't right you crawled over yeah. casks you were in the back corner yeah. there was a cask without a barcode <laughs> that's it the looked real sad spiders I came from it that's yeah. the one this is the one you selected it's a dirty dirty day should we have some colors right. now it's got dirty to please quick some colors we've gone for reflective gold that's jason that's a jason that's color a jason not color. reflexive gold no not reflexive gold <laughs> reflective gold so on the nose for this ah yes i remember this uh one note that we came up initially and even in the warehouse which is always a a fun but dangerous place to be tasting whiskey it is mm-hmm. it is it's very different to being in the underheated conditions of my Glasgow flat. Uh, we have, uh, it was gooseberries. It was that kind of like mm, immediately yeah. that kind of fruity yeah, yeah, gooseberry yeah. thing. Yep. Yep. So when we came back to our senses and wrote tasting notes, I do remember talking about that, this kind of idea of we had a kind of oaky because it's obviously in bourbon, but there's again, not full sweetness. There's a cocoa powder happening in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got here a savory component that delivers a certain oomph. Guilty. I think that sounds like a Jason. Though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we agreed on it, though. We absolutely U- did. U M, P H. Yeah, yeah. Got a P H. I feel like an F would be two, two O's. Oof. Yeah. Two O's. That's, that's, no, now you're an oofed. No, this it's an Two O's and an M. O O M P H. O O M P H. Oof. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I think with an F would be vulgar. Absolutely, that's disgusting. Disgusting. I'm moving us on immediately. Yeah, yeah. my gosh. Uh, So the palette, we have got a wonderful presence with uh, flavors that are a little sweeter than savory with a prickly pepperness that moves towards a malty cerealness. And I do remember the first time I tried this, that kind of like lovely, rich cerealiness, the maltiness that you get in an Arden American is is loud and proud in the middle of this. And it was great. From the first sip that we pulled with Graham, I was like, this is pretty cool. It's such a bright, clean dram. I really like it. 
Yeah. Uh, so for our finish, we've got long and lasting with bright fruit, chunky orange marmalade. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've done in our ROW whiskies, we've had quite a few that have got a marmalade character. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed them, which is strange because I cannot stand marmalade. Interesting. But in a whiskey, I quite enjoy it. But I also remember you were adamant that it had to be chunky. Yeah, it because it feels chunky. The chunk was important to the orange marmalade <laughs> note here. Oh, I like that. The chunk no. was important yeah, to the marmalade yeah. hater. To go with the oomph. Ooh. Yeah. Right. And we've also got in here candied cinnamon. So uh, our little, um, for our new labels, uh, for those of you who are paying attention to our new ROW yeah. labels, when you spin that bottle around to where we've got the Flavometer, TM, TM. Uh, we've got some, we've Not started official. adding some <laughs> truncated label notes. That's what Jason calls them. Thank you. Uh, and yeah. for our, ooh, our American, we've got bright and fruity yet savory. Yeah. And, and, and we were trying to work with that interplay yeah and trying to communicate that to somebody pulling that off a store shelf and taking a look at it <laughs> look at this we have ian allen calling me <laughs> i've got a Life missed on the voice call from hey, ian allen <laughs> hello oh you're at our front door can you can you go i'll go grab you Alan is in the building. Howdy. <laughs> we so, so we're, we're where are we in this podcast right now? We are, Who are we? talking our Namorkin. We did the notes. We got the truncated label note. Mm-hmm. We got a phone call from Ian Allen, with whom we're dining and drinking this evening. We in this episode have discussed Glenn Murray being at the Newcastle Independent Bottlers. Festival, love, the Indie Love Festival, the Indie Love Festival. But you, you guys, you were, were also the only OB at an independent bottlers festival. We got an special invitation, like we should at every event, I believe. <laughs> um, that's, and that's what I said. Yeah, and yeah, our new our new sales guy Zach was there, so I hope all the indie people was nice to him. You generally are, but he was actually on the table behind me, and he's a top bloke because he was a fellow Yorkshireman oh in our land of Geordies. Oh my god. Top of that face. It's this kind of racism. You Yorkshire folk are everywhere. Yeah, man. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but apart from Yorkshire, because you, you've left. You've all left the building. Well, like all good colonizers, yeah. we've set off around the world. What's that stat that keeps getting thrown around? How many people in Yorkshire compared to the number of people in Scotland? It's the same number. There you go. How, and what's that number? Five some million people. Five, five some five million. Five and a half. Five and a half. Six million people. Same number of people in Yorkshire as live in Scotland. Yeah. And Scots don't get nearly as much ground covered as the Yorkshire. Well, just we're really friends. industrial people. Historically, you can see them. <laughs> Did you invent the television? <laughs> We were too bloody busy to invent the TV. And also, they're expensive, Ian. We don't have time for that. Ian's about to recite that very famous T-Tel that says, Scots did this and Scots did that. Did you do tarmac? Did you do the telephone? Well, anyone who's been to Yorkshire knows that everywhere is cobbled roads, so obviously not. <laughs> telephone, why? You just shout. Next. Uh, 
Joshua, when Ian, when Ian walked into this building, you poured something into a mug for him. I did. That, it's a fine-looking specimen. Mug. We've got all sorts of glassware and coffee mugs. We're making this up as we go right? you, you do the best you can. So what did you pour for Ian that the three of us have been drinking all the way through this episode? So listen, this past week before I, I came to Scotland to be with you, to be with Jess, to be with Ian... I was with Connell McKenzie and Carl Crafts from Arden American Distillery, taking them. Well, where were we? New York, New. I was with them, New York, New Jersey, and we then they went. We don't have the answers. Go easy, Jason. I've been drinking. And then, and then they went down to uh, to to see Jared. Oh no, they went to see <laughs> Casey up in Massachusetts, and then Jared down in the Mid Atlantic. Down there. And so it's sort of a larger tour for them. And they created a special bottling called the Arden America. Fantastic. Bottling, Beautiful. Right? Fantastic. So this is their their standard their standard spirit makeup, which is fifty percent their peated whiskey, I think around thirty ppm, and then fifty percent unpeated, all matured in a combination of Oloroso and PX, fully matured in those two hmm. cast types or sherry types for, for five years, and I think it's Fifty-seven point eight percent. I think you're correct on that number because Jess and I were just discussing uh, it when you were yeah, opening the door to Ian Allen of Glen Murray Distillery. <laughs> so last night, uh, in case last you night you from. and I were drinking it, Jason. Yes, sir. Well, you, yes, we were. Uh, <laughs> no, we weren't, Jess. <laughs> Sorry, Jess. What a bunch of bastards. <laughs> oh. It was so late and everyone was so full. I like to. Yeah, so this is why I was in the hotel room far, far away. I see. I was I ready to go to see. sleep, and then Jason said, "So, <laughs> did is, you say you brought oh, a bottle?" True. Yeah, it is true. So he true. said, "You said you brought a bottle, that didn't you?" Me. Yeah, and then so I said, me. "We should call Jess up," and he said, "No, <laughs> whatever you, no, he didn't. No, none of that." <laughs> this is the trouble. You keep getting the singles, and we keep getting the twins. Well, it'd be really weird if I'd booked a family room for the three of us. <laughs> wouldn't be the first time. Everybody already it thinks wouldn't. I'm traveling with my two dads. That would really just compound the issue. <laughs> so, anyway. Dinner with your uh, three dads tonight. Oh, there, yeah. There was a note that you had gotten, and it was it was full-on chocolate. And for me, it's, it's that mole sauce, that sort of spicy, yep. earthy kind of chocolate yep. note just through the end of the palate into well, the finish. Do you have What's my new Instagram name? Full on chocolate? What was it? Daddy chocolate explosion? I'm already I've eradicated it from my mind. I just don't want to go by the chocolate omniscience. Oh gosh. Uh do you have a, a different chocolate note perhaps to those of us who live in a world where mole is not a feature oh. on a menu? Oh you're not gonna like this, oh, Jess. Yeah. You will not like this. Okay. Yeah. I'm bracing myself. So I often talk about Inchgower having a mushroomy quality to it. Mm-hmm. You don't like the mushroomy note. I I do like mushrooms. Oh, I'm scared in. of Jason and the mushrooms oh. for reasons that our legal team have said we're not allowed to discuss. <laughs> yeah, it's but a little. It's, it's a little. It's but a it, little, it's, it's it. There's a, there's an earthiness okay. associated with it, and, and maybe like a, a gentle spice going on yeah. with the mushrooms. In the chocolate, yeah. It's cracking, though. One of 900 bottles. And I only say mushrooms because that's a, an earthy thing, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. yanking your chain a little bit. But I um, oh. it's only because mole is... Um, don't touch his mushroom. Don't touch his mushrooms. Is, um, Do I edit that? 
Anyway, continue. No, leave it in. <laughs> okay. We can all be as confused together. Mario. Um, I am... Stop it. You're making me sniff the wrong thing. I'm now smelling the microphone and trying to drink the... <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely got a really rich, lovely, thick, chocolatey nose mm-hmm. to it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, like when we were discussing the tasting notes, I hate myself for saying that. Uh, it's not like a sweet chocolate. So I, mm. that's... It's like... And that's um, the mole, that earthy yeah. kind of thing, yeah. It's great. I really like this. Thanks for not drinking all of it last night. I have no comeback to that. Good. I kept on saying, like, just call her. He didn't. Just. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I don't think he did. Just give her the date. Just give her the date. Just give her the date. date. That, that is the most inside joke. Anyway, anyway, (laughs) listen. Three of us are loving. Listen, when Alan came here for a reason. To tell us what he thinks about Arden America. Well, first of all. Top scores for the punnage, uh, <laughs> Arden America, great name. They they did they did Arden Gherkin as well, of course. Indeed, in which, a Glen Murray cast. Glen Murray cast. I, I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but I'm the one that suggested Arden America. You were the suggester of the name. Pun. I'm pun daddy. I'm Sir Puns a lot. Yeah. I was waiting on. I don't know how to say this, but I'm a big deal. <laughs> I, I was going for it. He's the most American person here. So enough about Joshua. What do you think about Joshua, Ian Allen? <laughs> <laughs> enough about me talking about me. Why don't you talk about me? Yeah, definitely the pun daddy. Let's, let's go with that. <laughs> um, yeah, first of all, the color. It's, it, it looks like the, the color that the tea should be. It's just, you know, the, the tea yeah. bag has been in long enough. Uh, it's got a lovely dark hue to it, which just is, It's always the tea bag with you. It's always Ian. the tea bag. I'm always tea bagging. Um, you know, it looks amazing. And and how old is this? It's five. Five. Yeah, five. It's five years. Five. So yeah, the the PX is is definitely taking hold here. And it it's stunning. It's got a richness to it. Uh, mole, whatever you want to call it, uh, all great, all wonderful, um, and the guys there are doing so many great things with whiskey. Mm. Uh, it's great to see some of the the new distilleries, not like the old 126 year old Glen Murrays that have been <laughs> around and Snooze well well practiced. And <laughs> these guys uh, have been everywhere. <laughs> these guys, uh, they're doing uh, not to make light of it. Have I mentioned it yet? Have I mentioned you now? What do we think about Ian Allen? <laughs> Have we talked about a Glen Murray and PX gasket? Um, it's quite stunning. But this is, you know, this is a lovely drama. I'm not going to lie. Slightly jealous. You know, it, it, to do stuff of this age, of this quality, uh, is phenomenal. You know, even out of a mug, I have to say. <laughs> Oh, great. We've added a fourth industry professional to add to the <laughs> glassware confusion. I'm going to take a picture of our assortment of uh, drinking vessels. If it tastes this good in these terrible right. drinking vessels, right. I can only imagine uh, what it would be like when I inevitably steal the bottle from you and take it home with me. Yeah, I can't wait to get back to America and get my Arden America going on. Arden America. <laughs> we have derailed so far. So this badly. is the news segment. We have never derailed a news segment. Oh, wait a second. Are we still in the news? <laughs> Listen, Ian Allen's in the building. Yeah. Stop no, we saying need his to, name like that. You're making it so weird. and get out of here. Jess is finally drinking last night's Arden American. Thanks, guys. Finally. Finally. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh dang scoundrel. <laughs> 
Let's let's end it here. Yep. Let's smash together four <laughs> very inappropriate. Go easy here. Horrific <laughs> glass slash okay. ceramic items, and say cheers, listeners. Cheers, cheers Alan. Cheers, Jonathan. <laughs> cheers, Alan. Oh, Alan Winchester. <laughs> Not Ian Alan. Alan. That's why Ian I keep Alan. saying Ian. Ian Alan. Okay. Yeah. Cheers to y'all, and Arnamurka. Arnamurka. Arnamurka.